Welcome to the Beach and Black Podcast, an award-winning, unofficial podcast on print. For over 10 years, giving you print news, reviews, trivia, and all things happening in the print world. Featuring the host, Rob S. I think the craziest thing that's happened is when Prince invited me and Captain to meet with him in New York in 2010. Captain. Anytime Prince gets on the guitar and he starts getting up near that top fret, just get ready to blow your head off. Player. Oh my god, that's the Minneapolis sound right there. Toe Jam. There's just layers and layers of stuff going on in his music all the time in every speaker. Find Peach and Black on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Hi, this is Eden Nelson. This is Tommy M. Hi, this is Larry Graham. This is Mr. Hayes. And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... And you're listening to... The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast. The Peach and Black Podcast, baby. Now over to our host, Rob S. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black podcast. But before we go into the track-by-track Peach and Black analysis and discussion, let's introduce the panel as always, player. When doing any sort of interview, it's important to hit record. (laughs) Toe jam. (laughs) And captain. Like a hog needs slop. Oh, God, you took my notes. (laughs) (laughs) And it's Rob. Wow, in a place to be. Incredibly, we are all gathered around this virtual roundtable in front of our microphones about to talk about what was just up until very recently unreleased Prince music. New unreleased songs. Craziness. And we are very proudly the last people to review this album. (laughs) Not the first. We're the last, and we're happy with that. Are we actually the last? Well, we're definitely not the first, which is fine Out of all the major people I can think of, yes. Major media (laughs) outlets, yeah. Well, fair enough, fair enough. (laughs) Okay, so a quick announcement. We've launched a brand new show called Peach and Black Plus, and you can find it at peachandblackplus.com. What is it? Well, it's a regular member-based extension of the normal Peach and Black podcast. In each episode, we'll be reviewing a classic live concert of Prince and the band. So for those who want more episodes and more content, here it is. Now, let's go. Uh, Before we go into our song-by-song analysis and discussion, as I said, any quick comments from you guys just to introduce this part of the set? Me. Okay, Captain. I just have a very quick thing. Many of these tracks on these disc three and four were on one of the earliest (gasps) bootlegs that I ever got way back in the early 90s. So I have lived with many of these tracks for close to 30 years now. So while some of these are slightly different, the majority of those particular tracks are the same. So I'm very happy to have them in this quality. The end. And is it fair to say that there are some songs on here that you'd never heard before? Oh, yeah. Oh, wait, uh, I don't go. think you'd find anyone <laughs> who would say that there's not a song on this that they've never heard. Maybe Questlove. Not, not, even, not even Questlove? <laughs> <laughs> not even Questlove. Clay, I was thinking the same thing. <laughs> All right. 
I think we're all in a similar situation. I mean, most of these songs we had heard before on bootleg. And so it's a really fascinating listen and having been very familiar with those bootlegs over the years to hear them now and suddenly you hear differences and you start thinking, ooh, is that is that something that's been done later or before? Or it starts bringing up all questions about originals and different mixes and things and we're <laughs> going to get into it, I'm sure. But it's yeah. fascinating, definitely Well, actually, Tojem, you raise an interesting point because it's also not just a question of mixes and takes and these sorts of conundrums, but... You know, I can think of one song that we're about to talk about very, very soon mm-hmm. that I never heard the version of. And by version, I don't mean the version that was mixed and mastered by whoever did it for this release, but I mean like the actual song that Prince recorded himself. Uh, so it's crazy. You know, you, th- you look at, the, at a title of a piece of music and you think, oh, yeah, I know this. And then you press play and you're like, ooh, ooh, mm-hmm. ooh. <laughs> <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh. <laughs> I really don't know this song. So, um, oh, Lord. Well, Captain's thrown something out there. Co-Gem's thrown something out there. Player, have you got any first and final thoughts before we go into our uh, song by song? Yes. It's fascinating, these vault tracks, because some of them, you know, are intended for the 1999 album. And for whatever reason, probably due to it's already a double album and you can't fit everything in there that some things weren't intended for it. But there's other tracks there that he's just recorded in that era. And it's not for any other purpose other than his own amusement or just a vaulted or whatever. So it's interesting. This disc kind of covers both of that. That's fascinating as well. It could have been intended for the time or vanity or for himself. or It's just fascinating just to hear the process, I guess. Mm. Like It's interesting to look at the 1999 album as it was released in 1982. And then to look at all these other tracks that were recorded at the same time. And then just think that at some point... He decided this is the theme of this album. That track's going to work. This track's not going to work. Yeah. And then put it together that way. And then what we've got here are, you know, some were intended <laughs> for leftovers. other people. Some are basically <laughs> just leftovers from 1999. But it's just so, oh, I don't even know the word that we've got these tracks now. It still just blows my mind. It's. it's <laughs> I think you just, you were about to say it there. It blows your mind. It's mind blowing. It's mind boggling. And speaking of Rearrange all that, let's, your brain. Well, that's, that's it. What it did. That's what it did. Rearrange the, the sequence is what some people are doing around here. But let's go into the uh, let's go into song number one. And I will say this is part of a one-two punch. I think it's fair to say. But we are going to talk about the opening track to this. It is, of course, called "Feel You Up." And I pause just to, if we're inserting music, uh, if we're doing that. Um, <laughs> sure, sure. That is, it's called a comedic pause, actually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Feel you up. Let me touch your body, baby. Let me pull you up. Come on, baby. Let me pull you up. Take it away, player. Oh, of course it went to me. <laughs> there's, a few he- uh, there's a few here that's going to throw to me first. I know it. <laughs> So, yeah, I love this track. The drum beat that kicks it off, that straight funk face right there, the synth lead line that accompanies it. I really like the doubled up vocal. There's one in the lower register and higher register, and he sings it both at the same time, and that that's really cool. If you're really listening, you can pick up on that. Uh, the bass plucks all the way through it. Really, really cool. Um, but some good examples are at 211 and 226 to 227. The keyboard steps from 334 are really nice. Around the four minute mark, there's some weird wobbling vocal effects going on. I don't know what's happening there. Mm. Um, man, the synths after four minutes, between 419 to 422, 430 to 433. OMJ, 437 to 439. 
<laughs> the swell from yeah, some four, tasty ones. Yeah, the swell from four forty-seven and how that resolves, concluding at four fifty-five. The interplane with the hand claps. Ah, oh. and mm. four fifty-nine and five oh three. That whole section, um, each little riff. It's different each time. It's so cool. Between sort of four and five minutes, just pay attention to those synth lines. It's just really, really cool. As nice as it is to have these extended versions, the song is essentially done after three or four minutes. Um, after that, it becomes slightly repetitive, which makes the <gasps> Party Man B-side version ripped from the unreleased Camille album as the definitive version of this song. But this is, I like this for its rawness. It's not even like a throwaway track. It, he's worked on this intently with all the layering of all the instruments and the, the vocals and everything. He's, he's really put a lot of time into it. So it's not just some sort of throwaway thing, but in terms of its rawness, it's, it's brilliant. I really love this track. Wow, what an opener, what an opening review. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, we all know Prince later released a different version of this song to the, I think it was Party Man B-side in 1989, which was obviously a complete re-recording. So this is obviously the original version, or is it? So this particular version had been circulating for many, many, many years. I don't recall exactly where I first heard it. I thought it was on the jewel box, but I checked that and it wasn't on the jewel box. So I remember I've had it for years, but I don't remember where, what bootleg it was from. Uh, it's in the uh, funky key of E, so you can get that real low bass note. Lots of little simple pops now and then that Player was talking about. Uh, the synths are really what make the song, I think, um, as Player was talking about all those different ones towards the end. But even just the lead line, that... It's very kind of circular, very kind of Gary Newman cars kind of... Yeah. Era, and that's the era as well, really. It sort of reminds me of Automatic. Like, Automatic has similar kind of synth lines. And again, it's Prince using that Mixolydian sound, which he used... The beat is really cool. Just you got the kick and the snare, just you know one and three, two and four. But then you got the rim click playing along with the bass, dun dun, and it plays along with that. That's really cool. There is a lot more reverb on on the drum machine and on the vocals. Oh yes, um, than, the king than of there reverb. is. Well, I'm I'm not going to put the blame on anyone. I'm just saying it's there. It's a lot more heavy than the circulating bootleg, and I personally find that of all the songs on this entire five cd set this is the one that's worst mixed which is unfortunate because it's the very first vault one for me i find that the drums are just too loud and the vocals are way too soft and the synths are too Mm. soft and maybe i'm just used to the bootleg that was you know circulating it was a lot drier there was basically no reverb at all yeah that's right even that one the vocals a bit low and the drums are a bit loud but this is like I thought they might have fixed that a bit, but if anything, it's it's even more prominent. The drums are just too loud, and everything else is buried underneath it. I would love to remix this, personally, to do it the way I would like to hear it, but that's my personal preference. Lyrics, I mean, it's just brutally sexual. You know, I don't really want to be your man. Physical attraction is what it's all about. Uh, and then he references Turn It Up as well. You know, lots of references oh, to yeah. Turn It Up. Uh, I mean, it's just, it really is funky that the groove, the beat... The synths, everything about this is uber funky, uber raw. I just don't like the mix of it. Now, I'm not going to say that this is a particular fault of anyone in the estate because for all I know, I have no idea. I don't know what he left it as. But I do know that the bootleg that was circulating was a lot more dry. And I think this is probably the only song on this entire set where I think, eh, I think I prefer the bootleg on this one in terms of the mix. But obviously it's a lot clearer, so... Um, and I'll just finish by saying, as good as this is, I do probably agree that the 1989 version is is probably superior because it, it's got a, a cool turnaround that this one yeah, doesn't have. It's got yeah. horns. Mm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Glitz, and it, yeah. It, that one has the Camille vocal. 
So I, th- I think that one just nudges it a little bit, but they're both great funky tracks. All right. Mr. Captain, what do you think? Okay, this is as funky as old. Oh, get, get out. out. <laughs> um, apart from the drum beat, which is obviously great, for me, the bass guitar is the oh, standout. Yes. It's are just, you reading my notes? Why are you reading my so notes again? It's so simple, but it's just got the funk. Like for most of the track, it's just going along with this funky rhythm. But every now and then, like player Anto Jam said, he cannot help himself. He just gives mm. it a, just slaps the crap out of it, like wherever. First one, right before the first chorus, 49 seconds. There's another at 122, another one at 211, and a bloody great one at 225. And every time I hear it, I'm just like, ah, it's so good. <laughs> every single time. There's also just a few random notes here and there. They just smash you in the face. It's so good. I'm not too bothered with the lyrics. Uh, if anyone knows me, I'm not that bothered from previous reviews. But like Jam said, the vocals are sort of buried in the mix, which is okay because I can just focus on the music anyway, which is great. Like he's Prince sort of just talks the lines for the verses and then he sort of gets a bit more crazy later in the track. You got this great big synth solo, 333, goes back into the chorus. It's not mixed loud enough, I might add. I mean, it's a solo, for God's sake. What do you do when there's a solo? You turn it up. (laughs) It's not like... It's not like it's a rhythm guitar which just sits back in the mix quietly and does its thing. You bring the solo up, but no, not for us. We just have to strain our ears to hear a solo. Are you kidding me? Anyway, like Tojam said, the mix is not great. Not ideal. Let me add, I really dislike that underwater, weird, squelchy sound on the vocals. Starts at 348. It's awful. See, that's a weird one because that's not in the bootleg. No, is it? no, no, no. I went back it, and it compared it. It definitely sounds like an yeah. It definitely sounds like a 1982 effect. So it doesn't sound mm. like a, an effect that's been put on later. It is there on those other earlier versions, but it seems mm. way more prominent on this one somehow. So again, that's that's a choice. I'm guessing it's a mixing choice. I don't know, but it is what it is. Like Tojem said, 428. He says, "Turn it up." He says it several times, but that's one of them. Players already said all those synth solos. Straining your ears, you can hear them. Uh, like, I love the bit at 4.36. It's absolute classic Prince on the synths. Like, who does that? It is insane. And there's, yeah, there's another one at 4.52. I mean, my God, listen to this guy. Insane. There's another is one. Is that the f- one that goes... Oh, yeah, yeah, that's one of them. That's one of them. <laughs> that's one of them. That's one of them. When Captain was up here and we were listening to these bootlegs and we were, listening, we were in the car and that, that bit came on and we were both together just like, oh, that's, that's the sugar right there. That's it. I like there's like an alternate synth line that comes in at 518 in the background. It just fits in perfectly. It's really nice. But my biggest issue with this track is some of the, uh, let's say, creative license that's been taken. <laughs> Probably the reverb on that hi-hat is the worst offender throughout the track. <laughs> Which, like, on other versions I've heard, it is totally dry. Massive reverb doesn't work on funk tracks. That's just my opinion. I don't know if it's anyone else, but it just doesn't sound right to me. That could be our fault, because we've heard the original for 30 years. Um, That's our fault, but yeah, it just doesn't sound right to me. And the fact that some of the backing vocals have been totally muted during some sections. 
which I have done direct back-to-back comparisons. They're not mixed low. They're totally muted, which annoys me. I'm still going. Compared to the 1989 version, which you put on the B-side, I love that version too. It's totally, like, camelled up. It's a bit more poppy. It's got more funky instrumentation. It's not as sparse as these early versions. Uh, I'm sort of torn which one's better because they're both great. But on that 89 version, that main synth line is replaced with a totally different sound. It's almost horn-like. It's still a synth, but it sounds like a horn on the 89 yeah, it's version. Eric Leeds. But the 89's the 86 version. Yeah. It just got released yeah. in 89. But uh, questionable mixing and reverb issues aside, this is like a super funky track. It's up there at the... I'm going to spoil all the future reviews for the next two discs. Is like This is up near the top for me. It's that good. It's in top five. The end. Oh, wow. wow. This song's getting a lot of love. Let's see if I can spoil it. Um. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm sure you no. can. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, or fortunately, I cannot. This uh, is the shizzle, for sure. I mean, it's hard to know where to start with this. For me, it's all about that sustained bass note. I mean, that could be my, my whole review for this song <laughs> could be this. dum dum which is all that bass does every time it comes around. He just hold, lets it yeah. play out. It's that, so good. That one element of this song, which I think is what Captain was getting at and mentioned it before me, is like the thing that I love more than anything because it's not on the 86 slash 89 release version. It just adds so much. And all he's doing, again, as Captain said, so bloody simple yet so funky He's basically doing nothing and he's doing more than what probably a hundred or a thousand other bass players would have done during that part of the song. But he's got the perfect timing of when to play the note and when to just let it play out. Oh man, that to me is the best part of the song. So with that out of the way, yeah, I really, really love it. The 86 slash 89 version has synths. But this is way more, clearly it's way more 82, 90, 99 versions since. And what I mean by that is it's thicker. They're thicker in their composition and they come across with a bit more of a thump. Whereas the 86 version, I'm just going to call it from now on, it's more tinny. And I don't know how much of that is just the way it was mixed and mastered for CD for the hits and B-sides or whether or not that's actually what it was like. But this feels just... It is pretty light, that version, isn't it? Yeah, and this feels fuller. And I don't know whether it's because we're listening to the 2019 version of all this music or is it actually because the 82 synths that he was, the machines. I have a feeling it's the machines that he was using. I think it's the machines. Yeah. So that's fantastic. The drum programming on this is super nice. The warbly vocals, I don't know, three fifty-four minute mark, I think, play, I mentioned them. I don't know what to think of them. It's like, why did he add that? I think he's just playing around in the studio. That's my guess. But they come out to play at around the four-minute mark and also five-minute, ten seconds. Oh, and so I just thought of something. Okay. <laughs> How many kids listen to this show? I don't know if I even want to say it. This song is called Feel You Up and about being, you know, down there. Him <laughs> having an underwater effect. I mean... Think of that what you will. I just thought of that wow. right now. <laughs> I, paused. I paused because you had me intrigued, Captain. I'm not sure that I should have done that. Uh, yeah, so that's one explanation, I'm guessing. That's, yeah, that's definitely one explanation. But wh- could you think of underwater... any other... What other reason could there be? It's such a 
weird effect to just randomly throw on a song. And we know he didn't do many things just totally randomly. Yes. There's, there's got to be some thought behind it. So there we go. Well, Captain, you heard it. You heard it here last on the Peach and Black podcast. Whether it's uh, <laughs> whether it's the under the water version or the under the covers version uh, of vocals <laughs> that you're talking about, it certainly adds a freaky touch. But it's kind of funny slash freaky. This whole song is a bit like that. Going back to the music, is that this song is a great example of Prince establishing a groove and then riding it, riding right on the back of that groove until he feels like it's done. And I do also agree. I th- I think player may have, may have said this, you know, three or four minutes in the song's finished, but in Prince's mind, he just wants to play it out. And that's what we're hearing. But I do think it would have been better if it was shorter, which is not something I say often. In saying that, oh. I'm not saying this song overstays its welcome because it is a bit of an earworm with the do 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 Those eerie synths, they're great. It's, it's an irresistible earworm, pardon the pun. Um, and so it's, for me, it always comes down to what you guys have already touched on, which is as good as this song is in this version, which one do I prefer? And I'm going to go with 86 version that came out in 1989. I think for me, that's the definitive. And this is like the peer behind the curtain. Oh, by the way, look, <laughs> he actually recorded this back in 1982. So yeah, good opener. I got one more thing to add. And that is um, that the handwritten lyrics are in the booklet for this one. And what's interesting about that is that he actually credits it to Jamie Starr. He writes in the top right-hand corner, mm. fill you up, Jamie Starr. Hmm. Um, but yeah, and the lyrics are all pretty much the same. Like he didn't change anything. Uh, he even writes in grunt when he wants to do a grunt. <laughs> Let me fill you up, grunt. <laughs> Hilarious. So yeah, that's, that's what's cool about this set too is the handwritten lyrics to a lot of the songs in the booklet. Well, we should probably just continue to talk and transition super smoothly into the next track just like what happens on this album where song one basically goes into song number two so with that jamie star Mm. reference let's go straight into song number two without even a pause for editing it is irresistible bitch so hard to choose who to shoot. I can't do it again, so I'll give the baton to someone else. Um, <laughs> Captain, you laughed first. Open up. Yes. Open up the review. Yes. Yeah. I'll go first because this is one of the best songs on this entire release. There you go. This song kicks off with that bass just thumping away and funky as anything, Minneapolis synth lines. The biggest difference between this track and the previous track has to be his vocal performance delivery yeah where feel you up's basically just rapping talking in his deep voice compared to this where he's just wrecking it wrecking his voice to scream out these lines i love it i love my name is prince any of those songs where he just wrecks his vocal cords (laughs) i like a lot i mean the synths in the chorus are some of the funkiest yet simplest things he's ever recorded those synth stabs on the four funky as anything oh my god this song I love the big change at 128, take it to the bridge with a few more funky synths and classic chicken grease guitar playing the seventh and more chance of turn it up. You kept saying turn it up. That brings me to some lyrics. Yes, don't have a heart attack. I'm talking about lyrics. (laughs) Some of my favorite Prince lyrics in history are in this track. Hell if I know why I let you drive my car. Don't I know that walking won't get me very far? Sure, I know the crying over you isn't just in vain, but all things I lose don't add up to all the things I gain, but shit, as he used to say. 
later. <laughs> All the shit I gain. It's just so punk, the way he just shouts it out in some sort of almost, right. like, UK accent. It's just hilarious. <laughs> it is so good. Two minutes in, at the next chorus, his voice is just dying. It's freaking great. <laughs> More shouts of Turn It Up, referencing the song, I'm guessing. 233, another big bridge. It's just, it's so James Brown. Like, especially all these little keyboard swirls and stuff in there. Then I love the breakdown at uh, 250, just bass and drums. 253, just after that, there's this weird sound in the left channel. I don't know what it is, but it's there, and it's cool and weird. I don't know. Then three. Is that the one that's like... Yeah, it's just, just a weird like sound. A might, yeah. He might have just unplugged something. It's just a weird sound, <laughs> and it's there. Yeah. And it sounds cool. Uh, 321, we get a bit of fancy drum work and synth bits playing around, and then he brings it all back to that thumping bass line again. And, oh my God, that bass line. The simplest thing you could do, but it's just done. I don't even know how to... It's just so good. Uh, and then you've got that big fancy synth note outro. That's just cool. So, overall, an amazing funk track. One of my favorites on this... Not just on this release, but of all Prince tracks. Wow. This song is up there. Now, Captain, before I let you go here, which one do you prefer? The B-Sides version that came out on the hits B-Sides and in the early 80s as an actual B-Side or this? This. What? This. <laughs> really? <laughs> yep. This version. Jeez, I was not expecting that. You just love that raggedy voice, don't you? Yes. Everything about this <laughs> song I think is better than the released B-Side version. As good as wow. that version is, almost every single thing I can think of is better in this version. So you're a very happy man. This is a good song. <laughs> and I can hear it. It's not like drowning in reverb, so I'm very happy. <laughs> That's always a plus. Uh, Toe Jam, what do you think about song number two, Irresistible Bitch? Uh, yes, so as we were just discussing, this was originally released as the B-side to Let's Pretend We're Married, which I think was the last single off the 1999 album, so just before the Purple Rain stuff started dripping in. I first uh -huh. heard this particular version on the Jewel Box <laughs> Volume 2, which was surprisingly lacking Feel You Up, like I was saying. So like <laughs> on the Jewel Box Volume 2, it just had Irresistible Bitch without segueing from Feel You Up. I mean, obviously these two songs go together, like they're the same tempo, almost the same beat, almost the same bass line, same key. They go straight in from one to the other. Um, this is funky as hell. This really is. Yes. I love the Lindrum on this. I really love it. It's just so clean and crisp. It's kind of got this sort of fuzzy phono kind of sound to it as well. And I really love the light cowbell. I, I think it's part of the Lind pattern as well, but there's a little cowbell in there. It's so cool. And just the interaction with that and the snappy hand claps. I mean, I could just have that beat going just on loop forever and I'd, I'd just be in heaven. <laughs> it's so good. I like the way the song starts with the beat and then like Prince often does, it slides in on beat three, not with one, not with Two, well, maybe two. Two or three basses all going, yeah. just sliding down on the bass before coming in. And then the funk gets rolling. Uh, like Captain said, it's much more James Brown, th this one, than the B-side. The four chord is much more prominent, whereas in the B-side, it's kind of more implied um, than highlighted. This is one of those songs where so much stuff is on the one. Um, obviously, you've got the kick drum, obviously. The guitar starts on the one. The bass starts on the one. The vocal irresistible bitch starts on beat one. You've got the Minneapolis line, brain arrow, that yeah. starts on beat one. Everything's just starting on beat one. It's so funky. 
Just on that Minneapolis line, so I remember Lisa tells a story on the Purple Rain documentary from the 2004 DVD. She talks about the fact that, you know, Prince and Jimmy Jam and uh, these other guys were all kind of arguing over who came up with that classic Minneapolis line. So that's kind of cool. It's right here anyway. I'm not sure if it's the earliest, but it's one of the earliest. Mm. Um, The lyrics are again in the lyric book, and again he attributes it to Jamie Starr. And what's cool about this one is um, Captain was talking about those synth stabs, like irresistible bitch, and Bang. then there's the synth stab. Yeah. In, the, in the lyric book, he's actually drawn a little star, um, <laughs> and then he's put to the side, the star equals blast. So yeah. it's like irresistible bitch, blast. Bang. Dun, oh, that's dun, good. Dun, 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 dun. Yeah. So cool. So he's got the song in his head while he's writing the lyrics. It's not just that he's writing mm-hmm. lyrics and then coming up with the music, I think. Prince's rhythm guitar is just oh. unbelievable. It's so alive. It's so yeah. scratchy. The drums just completely drop at 3.36, which I don't think it did in the bootleg. No. And doesn't. there might be a bit of debate about whether that's a creative license by the estate mm. or whether that's it's the way they found it. We don't know. But it is kind of weird. I liked it the first time I heard it because I'm like, wow, I listened to all the interplay between the guitars and the synths. But now I'm kind of like, eh, maybe I think I would have preferred that beat to keep going. But yeah, this is just so funky. It's so good. I think I prefer the B-side. Oh, the previously released version, only slightly because I think that's a bit more, it's a bit more artistic. This one is just funk on a stick, which is great. But the other one it sort of has something that's a bit more arty about it. I think oh, I prefer it's got that, that bloody bell. Bing bong. It's <laughs> yeah, so dumb. Church bell. So dumb. What the hell is that? Get out of here. That's not funky. Hmm. But yeah, this is good. Oh man, too good. Bing bong. No. And the mix, the mix on this is so much better. The mix on this is so much better than Feel You Up. And mm. better than the bootleg. I think from memory, the bootleg, I found the vocal was too loud on this one. But this one, I, th- I didn't, I haven't heard that and thought, oh, the vocal's too loud. So I think the mix on this is, is great. Okay, that's my review. Bow. All right, all right, all right. Player, Bing it's bow. time. What, what do you think about this track? Yes, this segues seamlessly from the previous track as apparently intended. Apparently they found a cassette where he made a mix with the Fill You Up and this together. And so that's how they put this together for the album. The synths from eight seconds, it starts, ah, oh, I don't even have words for it. It's that good. Um, hmm. The guitar in the left channel, it's just insane. There's some really complex interplay between the guitar and the synths underlying in the track all the way throughout. It's just so good. If you have the technology to isolate the parts and just listen to it, it's mind-blowing. <laughs> The vocal delivery, yes, Jamie Starr, he's straining it out. This is kind of like where he's starting this alter ego thing. And the vocal delivery is deliberate for that. You know, he's like a character. He's not singing this as Prince. He's singing this as somebody else. And that's evident in the way it gets released as the B-side. Like, he's got this strained vocal delivery and he's really sort of straining and belting it out. And then the release version, he's very subdued and quiet. Um, mm. He's almost speaking the line. So it's it's like polar opposites. It's like night and day. And this version is very different from the release B-side. There's none of those church bells. I call them church bells. There's none of those bells on it. No Bing acoustic bong. drums. <laughs> no acoustic drums. It's, it's a very different listening experience. It's, it's almost like they're both completely different songs. Um, mm. It's very hard to compare them. But this is just relentless. So it's got like this driving force behind it. Whereas I find the B side is it's it's great, but it's it's just a very different listening experience. So um, Prince, there came a point where he thought to himself, "Well, oh, I'm going to release this under my own name. 
I can't use it as Jamie Starr, so I'm going to have to change this vocal delivery on it. And so it's it's vastly different. But it's it, this is just wow. Like I'm I'm so glad that this has come out. Thank you, Estate. Mm. You know what's interesting? You know those couple of pictures allegedly of uh, Jamie Starr, like with Morris Day. Yeah, <laughs> we've seen <laughs> I love those how you pictures. Say allegedly, but. Yeah. <laughs> who knows it could not <laughs> be him. rumored rumored yeah. jamie star studio so if yeah. this if these first two songs are written by jamie star i'm guessing this is what jamie star's voice sounds like <laughs> exactly oh yeah it's a good point yeah. hmm. this irresistible bitch wrecking your vocal cords performance that's jamie star that's what he sounds like the whole point of jamie star was to disguise himself as you know prince disguising himself not prince, he was yeah. trying to throw it off yeah so how do you do that? You do it in a voice that's unrecognisable. So he's not mm. singing as himself. He's got this really sort of way out there voice. Do you know one reason yeah, I, was... I think why I might love this song so much is he performed this on the Act One tour, which is one of the first oh, tours yeah, that I heard too. recordings yeah. of when I became a fan, like less than a year before. So that could have something to do with why I goddamn love this song. That's all. Ooh. This is a uh, another one of those toss-up situations for me because this is freaking awesome to listen to. You guys have all spoken about this, but his voice is ridiculous on this track. Uh, Jamie Starr, that is, not Prince. It just cracks me up. Like, the way that he's pushing it, which is what Captain referred to earlier, he's pushing his voice, but he's doing it with this... You can actually, at least I can, hear a sense of humor there. He's cracking his voice to the limit, but he's cracking me up in the process. I I absolutely love it. This actually sounds to me like Prince was away from the studio and this mysterious Jamie Starr character like broke into Mm. the recording room one night (laughs) and started fidgeting around with Prince's equipment when he wasn't looking. And he comes out with something like this and then leaves, you know, it's like he's horny as heck, this Jamie Starr character. You got to do a double take. You're like, am I actually listening to a Prince song? And it's all because of the vocal because the music is princely as heck. This is, just like the official B-side, a pretty sexy, sexual song. Like, it's a hot track, but it's so different hearing him because he's like, every time he strains his voice, you feel like he's strained, like he's sexually strained as well. Like, he just can't bear it anymore. Like, this this, this woman, he can't get her out of his head and he's just, like, losing control. It's just hilarious. And so comparing this song to the version that was released as a B-side is a pretty interesting exercise, but... Where this one is raw and funny to me, the other one is just way nastier. It's nasty to me because of the fact that he's using that kind of pseudo UK Euro accent. He's got the bells. Uh, I think someone said church bells. I'm thinking kind of maybe like a sly Big Ben reference, kind of, um, to link up with the UK theme. But the thing about the nastiness for me comes down to the voice. So... He's nasty because he's almost talk rapping, you know, spoken wording parts of the uh, the B-side version, whereas this one's very, very different. And the real drums, I mean, complete night and day, 180 degree difference. So I actually prefer the original B-side. Sorry, Captain. Oh. But on any given day, if this comes on, it's just an absolute jam. Like there's nothing bad about this track at all. It's, it's amazing. Um, I think probably... Some of the B-sides, there has to be an element of, you know, we heard them many, many years ago and we've had time to grow with them as well. Whereas this new stuff, this is so brand new to us that it hasn't had time to really digest. So um, 
that's probably something as well. MC, had you heard this one on Bootleg? No, no. Wow, I'm jealous. No. Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> like I, it it's so out there. It's outlandish to to be hearing this, but um, and, and I do love it. It's just that I think I'm familiar with the other one. But the one thing I have to finish on is that wobbly effect from uh, 146 to about 203. Hilarious and also funky. Once again, it's just this this weird wobble effect. I don't know what it is. Oh, in the background, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's low in the mix, yeah, yeah. It can. It's very low, but if you put it on headphones and turn your uh, headphones yeah. on, you should be able to hear it. It's weird because it's not... Yeah, it's that weird in the left channel. It's like something like cycling yeah. up. It sounds really weird. Cycling yeah. up and then cycling down. Exactly, yeah. but I have no idea what that is. It's just... What other what no, mind... loves all these effects. Uh, but Prince at 24 years old... Sorry, Jamie Starr at 24 years old. <laughs> Uh, could do something like this and you know it remains unexplained but when you hear it you're like oh what the hell's going on um it's a little bit parliament funkadelic-esque you know like weird awkward arranging choices that are uh, brought into the mix but for whatever reason he he thought that should be there i just found it really funny and the, la- the last thing that you guys have already spoken about is the synths the reference i've got is 319 to 340 crazy synth workout followed mm-hmm. by the bass and rhythm guitar breakdown Oh man, what a one-two punch! This is this is good stuff. You know what you said before about this version of "Feel You Up" and then the B-side uh, that was officially released, mm. and how it's sort of you said it's like tinny, and I said it feels much lighter compared to this version. I feel exactly the same about "Irresistible Bitch." As in, the B-side version is lighter again. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's just so. I don't want to say weaker. But that's what it feels like to me. It's just much lighter, not as funky. It's like he pulled the funk out of it for that B-side version. It's just like, that's just well, a song. This is the version. Captain, like you said, reverb shouldn't be on funk tracks. There's a lot of reverb <laughs> on that B-side one. Well, actually... Ah, yes, yes. But not only that, it's the the real drums. And, you know, it's Prince sitting behind a drum kit on that. So it's got that in-the-pocket feel and the vibe of his drum playing mm. and the sound of the kit. But there's another thing. These tracks are a little bit, you know, they haven't been slaughtered and and had all the dynamic range squashed out of them, but they are way, way more compressed than what's on the hits and B-sides. That stuff is really um, not squashed. And so to do a a fair comparison, when you have a minute, put on Irresistible Bitch B-sides and blast your speakers and then come back to me and tell me if it still sounds um, weak. <laughs> like if you really turn it up, there's that reference again, I think you'll be surprised because I've done that. I've actually got the single vinyl version of it. Well, is it Let's Pretend We're Married? I think that's the one. Yeah. And the B-side to that is Irresistible Bitch. It's a 12-inch, full-size, uh, 45. <laughs> full-size. B- oh, okay. And the B-side to that is Irresistible Bitch. And I've turned that up. On the, on the turntable, boom, bitty baby. That stuff has got some punch. <laughs> so it's just the bloody Hits B-Side CD. That's a bit of a tangent. Wow, what a one-two punch, guys. We're only two songs in. We're not going to get any better. Let's just end it there. We're done. <laughs> <laughs> it's over. For anyone expecting... Hang on a second. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's, it's, we're still on disc three. We're about to go into track number three. It's called Money Don't Grow on Trees. And if you don't mind, guys, I'm going to take this one from the top. Where the heck did this one come from? That's the first 
the vault. Few words in my <laughs> Iron Mountain <laughs> in my notes. <laughs> this really struck me by surprise, and it still does every time I hear it. Even though it's only been a short period of time that we've had this, but oh man, where do I start? I love this, and, and I think I. Part of it is the fact that the first two tracks we just spoke about, I was already familiar with. Okay, the versions are different, but I knew the songs. But this was like the listening to it as an experience. This was the first song that I had never heard before at all. Plus, coming after those first two tracks, this is almost like polar opposite of what those first yeah. two tracks are. Yes. This might as well be another artist or band in inverted commas. But no, wait a minute, sit down. It's one guy. <laughs> He's from Minneapolis. That joke will never get old, will it? <laughs> um, but really, this is a one-man band performance, right? So that's just insane to me. <laughs> now that I got that out of my brain, this sounds like some sort of like a half Rufus, half Steely Dan inspired little track. It's got this nice steady groove with a really clean drum kit sound that's like, it feels like you're in the room watching him play drums. Very rare to actually get that experience. He has played drums on other records, but this one just feels like he's right there, just a few meters away. And that's a big highlight for me. I like the, the ditty nature of it. It's got the... It's, it's just strong enough from a melody and arrangement perspective that it gets out of that TV theme. Jingle. Exactly. It gets, it gets out of that. It doesn't quite hit pop standard and somewhere in, in between those two zones, but it's nice. And the drums have a lot to do with it, but the melody, the lead melody line does as well. Then there's all this subtle background vocals throughout. On certain lines, he embellishes the backgrounds a little bit more and then less on other lines. But they're there. This is like a fully completed track. Definitely not a demo, no matter what anyone tells me or whatever I read. He's put a lot of work into this, at least to finish as a finished product. I think so. Uh, I think that it is that. The drum break at 1.48 with that vocal workout for the next uh, 15 seconds or so, super cool. Then again, another breakdown at the 2.20-ish mark is also super nice. Of course, there's the uh, famous Like a Hog Needs Slop reference that Captain <laughs> used at the beginning of our show. Very funny. Uh, yeah, this is a funny line. It's a fun, rollicking, good old-fashioned number, this one. It's well-arranged. It's got just enough tongue in its cheeks for me. Just enough. So much better. And I'm going to say this, and for our longtime listeners, that they may have thought that this particular song would have never been referenced again by me. But I'm going to say it. This is everything that the morning after wanted to oh. be. Yes. <laughs> oh, no. I had the exact same thought when I was listening to it this afternoon. This oh, would have fit to it. on Lotus Flower instead of wow. Morning After. Oh my goodness. This it is, is like similar, isn't shit. it? I didn't even think of it. Wow. Yeah. He went there. He went there. It's just the shit compared to that song. But this one, I know some of you guys, uh, maybe Captain might speak a little bit on the money aspect of it. Uh, mm. <laughs> But I'm just taking it, making a guess. I don't know. But it's not so much a commentary on money to me, but more like a, a short opinion piece on the fact that one way or another, you've got to work at something to make ends meet and make those dollars, you know, make some change. So, yeah. Unless you, you can dance like Fred Astaire. 
<laughs> exactly. So if you're a dancer, you if you're an artist, yeah, you'll get the big coin if you make it through the rat race of and that whole industry. But uh, if not, just you got to find, you got to do something, baby. And it's like from that perspective, this makes perfect sense. And especially a guy who by that point was quoted in interviews as you know he had enough money to keep things going and the electricity was bills were being paid in his studio time. You know that was all taken care of, but he's still not quite far out enough of that i guess middle class american lifestyle and stat and status financial status anyway that he can still sing about this sort of kind of i don't know rootsy he's not comfortable yet <laughs> yeah that's it he, so he can still kind of come up with this sort of mm. stuff and, and he, hasn't he, got, did, he hasn't got that purple rain money purple yet, rain money <laughs> <laughs> that's right so uh, so I like this I really really like this and for me an early highlight on this set and one that I always get a smile when this song comes on I'll just finish on this there's a joy in his playing and in his singing and in his and this, this is a kind of a joyful song considering the topic um, yeah I like it now uh, take it away player Hmm. This is the first of many on this set where certain songs take me out of the 1999 headspace, yes. which is a bit jarring for me. So even though this is recorded in 81, just orally, to me, it's mm. so far removed from the cutting edge sound of what the 1999 album is. Yeah. So I have a hard time, regardless if the song's good as a standalone track or not, when it's put in the context of the 1999 Super Deluxe, I don't like it as much. And this is one of those tracks. Now, It doesn't in a fit way, in the 1999 world. <laughs> I mean, 1999, even though it's not a concept album, to me, it is a concept within itself. So this particular track and some of the other tracks on these Vault reissues doesn't fit this, the, the 1999 concept. So the sound that leans towards the Dirty Mind album for me, uh, it's a nicely formed pop style song with some countrified guitar sprinkled throughout but overall it's not that memorable for me aside from the chorus which is essentially the title of the song and some lines reference referencing Fred Astaire it's cute and if it was pulled out of the vault later in his career and reworked extensively with some female backing vocals doing some harmonies which I think this is lacking in it could have had the potential to be an all-time Prince classic if it was slotted into the right project but in this form I don't know it's a bit one-dimensional in its execution for me so it's good, but it's. Mm. I, I just think it's destined for something else. It's just a bit jarring having it here on this project. All right, all right. Toe Jam, you're up next. Well, this was one of the few songs that, as far as I'm aware, was not circulating in fan communities. Mm. And so it was entirely new to me. I never even heard the title anywhere. And I really, really relish this experience of hearing songs that you didn't even know existed because I know that that experience is only going to get rarer and rarer and rarer from here on in because obviously Prince is no longer here to continue to write music. So I deliberately made sure when I was listening to this one, you know, there was no other noise around. I wanted to hear it properly. Like this is a song I've never heard of. Let's listen to it. I think it's a solid song. I'm not going to say it's great. I think it's solid. It's in E again. So three songs in a row on this disc are in the key of E. This one's a bit more majory though. Just sort of plays on the major one then to the five and back and forth. Uh, the pre-chorus goes to a four, then a minor three, a four again, and then up to the five, and it does kind of a couple of stops on the five um, before leading into the verse again. So it's pretty standard sort of chord progressions. 
Um, the rhythm guitar to me is very, very reminiscent of um, the Rufus and Shaka Khan song "Sweet Thing." It's, it's obviously a faster tempo, but that same sort of thing. And I think Rob mentioned Rufus in there before as well, so I definitely hear that too. The live drums, as Rob said, sound really good. There's a breakdown to just drums and vocals, which is kind of cool. I just realized I've been saying Rob. I should be saying MC. Yeah, Rob Rob S. Lyrics. Backing up with what MC was talking about, the lyrics, I think I think this is funny because it's kind of a song that you'd imagine like a parent might sing to a child, you know, like uh, money don't grow on trees, you know, unless you can dance like Fred Astaire. But the irony is, is Prince can dance like Fred Astaire, or at least he's got the same amount of talent. And so he's it's kind of tongue in cheek. It's like you know, unless you can do what I can do, then you you, you got to work. Otherwise, you know, I'm the purple man. I can do what I want. So <laughs> that's the way I kind of read it. It's kind of tongue in cheek. The verse after the breakdown is a little empty and nothing really happens. And I kind of feel like it, it is a little bit unfinished. Um, and the chorus just kind of repeats until the end, towards the end. So I, I do kind of feel like it's a really good idea for a song. And I think it's like 85% finished. And I think it's just mm. kind of missing something towards the yeah. end with, to really finish it off. And when players said um, female backing vocals, I'm like, yes, that would that would make this song yeah. shine, I think. Um, so yeah, this this could have been a song that was passed on to um, another artist, and it could have been a really even better song. But I mean, it's solid as it is. I don't get the vibe that it's out of place on the 1999 set. To me, I still can hear it, especially the guitar, that really clean, crisp guitar. That's very to me. That's very early 80s chicken grease guitar. So I kind of hear it within the same package. But yeah, it's a solid song, and it's just fascinating to hear these things that were never circulating, like even in the bootleg circles. Like, where did this come from? It's crazy craziness just before i throw to captain that background vocal presumably female vocal idea that that we're all talking about now that i think about what you guys just said would have loved to have heard this around the 2006 to 2010 maybe 12 era with you know elisa shelby and um live that this is the Uh. kind of thing that i think they would pull off in a live setting that, that could have been a cool. Cora and Josh would do a good job with that. That sort of the bass and the drums. Yes, on this as yeah, well, yeah, I think. yeah, yeah. Isn't it crazy to think like the bass and the drums on this track sound like Cora and Josh, but it's just one guy. Again, I keep coming back to that, but it's just <laughs> such a he's such a freak of. It's not just about being a versatile musician, but he plays the parts individually that make it sound like a band, which I think he never gets enough credit for. Everyone's like, "Oh, Prince plays a lot of instruments." He's and yeah, the one-man band thing gets thrown out, but I know a lot of, well, let me rephrase that. I know a healthy number of people that, <laughs> there's one in this room tonight, um, uh, who can who can do this sort of stuff. But to pull it off convincingly, like, holy shit, listen to the band, Owen Husney. It's just so fantastic, right? So he's not the only one in the world, like I said. You know, there's, there's our own toe jam, you know. We've got a few people out there. Lenny does his own thing. Kravitz, of course, is who I'm talking about. But so rare. So anyway, Captain, off you go. Ooh. So it seems Dwayne Tadal and I were thinking along the same lines. But I'm sure many people have followed this line of thinking after seeing the title of this song. Because as soon as I saw it, I'm like, oh, here we go again. Prince going on about having no money. He was almost (laughs) obsessed with it, like in the early years it seems sometimes. So I started trying to think of all the songs where he's like talking about money or he's got no money. And then I open, you open the booklet, you read the liner notes by Dwayne and it's almost word for word what he, what he's saying. And he lists all the songs. So it's a thing. It's not just me. 
But um, I'm still I'm still trying to figure out if I like this track or not. I mean, it's definitely a more fully formed song than some of the tracks on here, which are still sort of demo-ish. They don't go anywhere, but even then, there isn't too much to this track either. I mean, it's just drums, bass, and guitars and vocals. There's like there's no synths, there's no keyboards at all. Yeah. Mm. So, like Tojam said, you know, I don't think it's complete either. I find it hard to think that he would put a song like this out without keyboards on it or like some female backing vocals or something else. Like as it is, it's just not quite there yet, I think. But I do like the fact that because it is a pretty basic track, you can hear everything. The bass is really prominent. You can hear the guitar perfectly. It's not buried like under layers of synths and overproduction as happened to other tracks over the years for better or worse. So there's that. Like, you've got a bunch of guitars going, left and right channels, you've got a couple vocal tracks, and also, as mentioned by Dwayne in the liner notes, go and listen to Maite's album, uh, and the track Baby Don't Care, the choruses are practically the same. When I listened back to those two together, that just hit me as, like, a very unexpected lift from, like, a 1982 track to something come out over ten years later. And it's like, wow. At some point, that was in his head, and he's like oh, remember that song I did like 13 years ago? Let's just grab that chorus and use that again. It's just crazy. As always, I'd rather have heard this than not have heard it at all, but I don't think this is one I will revisit very often. It's okay, but um, it's still marinating in my brain if I like it or not. Hmm. The end. All right. Well, the moment that everyone's been waiting for. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Song number four. Give me a V. <laughs> Give me an A. <laughs> Let's not play around, ladies and gentlemen. The song's called Vagina. It's track number four. And we're going to talk about it. Take it away, player. Who's gonna, oh, Andrew. <laughs> we'll try and control ourselves during this. It I could go off the rails very quickly, so let's, let's, let's see how we go. Oh, does he, you, didn't, you, haven't, you didn't open up a song for a while. I thought I'd hand it over to you. Yeah, well, let, me, let me open this one up. Open up Vagina for us, will you? <laughs> Don't talk about opening things up. See, already, you've gone too far. Come on. <laughs> too far. Yeah, this is where I headed to first when I got this set. Um... <laughs> As you do. Again, this orally is very different what? to the sound of 1999. Oral. Spell that for me, sir. With an A. It's Put your hands a. on top of the vehicle. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is very different to the sound of 1999. This has more of a Dirty Mind era vibe to it. Mm. And in its rawness and contextually and thematically, um, there's... A bass and two guitars driving this. Primarily rhythm, which explains the lack of drums, but again, they have this amazing interplay within each other. It has that <laughs> chugging sound that... <laughs> Don't go there. You're going to go on uh, mute this... in a second, I swear to God. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> it has that chugging sound that wouldn't have been out of place in that rock landscape of 82, like Melon Camp and all that. The hand claps that uh. come halfway through is nice. The sound quality and the dynamics is really good for a recording that's over 35 years old. I'm pretty impressed with the sound quality, actually. 
This sounds something like um, off the Late Deliverance album. Is it I Am? Oh, know. yes. Yep. It, yeah. It, 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 the, mm-hmm. the guitar sounds like something that was on that. It sounds familiar. I don't know. Um, the Half Boy, Half Girl reference is another example of Prince and this male-female duality that he toyed with and revisited throughout his career. Like the the symbol, you know, the combination of the male and female symbols, the Camille character, which historically was a hermaphrodite. So there's this early reference to all of that. And coincidentally, Fill You Ups, you know, ended up on Camille along with another 82 track called Strange Relationship. So this concept is all intertwined, this boy-girl thing that he's got going. Um, I strangely like this. When I first heard it, I was like, meh. You know, but the more I hear it, the more I get into vagina. It's, it's. <laughs> <laughs> you did that on purpose. Admit it. It sounded like it. <laughs> I did, but uh, like I, I'm really getting into it. Like I didn't really care for it when I started. I thought, nah, this is not really, like this is. I, I'm not getting into this at all. But the more I listen Stop. to it, I thought I'll give it a shot. The more I listen to it, the more it's like, oh, it's it's those guitars. It's something about the, that groove that's, uh, you know, maybe not the lyrics, but just the groove of it. I just I just like it. So the more I listen to it, I'm 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 digging this. Wow. Yeah. All right, all right. <laughs> I'm just gonna put myself on mute for a minute, uh, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, you know, this is no surprise to some people, but. I immediately took points off just because of the title. It just, you you don't need that. You don't need to go that far. But I'll I'll get to that later. Like, the first thing that stands out, like, player said, like, there are no drums whatsoever. No. It's just those chugging guitars and bass. It's like, it's an acoustic track, really. Well, with electric instruments, but still, no drums. Uh, It reminds me of Sister on Dirty Mind both in sound yeah, and, you know, lyrics and things, themes. Yeah. But then the rhythm is also similar to When You Were Mine. There's lots yeah. of different things. Having said that, it's an okay track. I mean, it doesn't really go anywhere. There's no real changes. There's a sort of an attempt at a bridge at 150, 151, but it's obvious he never worked on it any further. He didn't come back to this track. There's a lyric I noticed. I think it's Welcome to My World. Like, so many elements Mm. from these early like 82 sessions ended up in graffiti bridge album it's like just like the some lyrics and just themes and all this stuff it's crazy how much ended up later on out of all the tracks on this set this is right near the top of the list of tracks that i'll never listen to again Uh. (laughs) (laughs) like i actually find this track funny like it's just so obviously one of his early attempts to shock people and get attention. Yeah. And that's just comical to me. It's like, I can't take it seriously because I know what it was designed to do. And I just laugh. Like this tracks, a lot of people like this track. I've seen people saying this is one of their favorite outtakes from the vault tracks on this album. And like that blows my mind since it's like near the bottom of the list for me when it comes to like the quality of the tracks, like sound quality. Sure. Sounds great for its age. But the quality of the song, I, I just don't see the appeal of this at all. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's not my cup of tea, let's say. <laughs> the end. Oh, goodness me. 
See, I avoided all the puns that everybody else went on. I like, I, I can do it, you know. I can be. <laughs> <laughs> I know it must have been difficult, but you did, you did a good job. Is this designed for vanity? Because yes. he was giving her the name, yeah. so this was for her to sing. Correct. I think that's uh, that's what the liner notes allude to as well. I'm not sure if it was for her to sing because it's it's obviously someone singing about someone else. So I don't know. Mm. Mm, yeah. But the name itself was originally supposed. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Her, that that yeah. part of it, yeah. But yeah. I don't. I I don't know if it was meant for her. Mm. It, it's just. It's just shock value. It's like it's probably not even related at all. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's yeah, it's, it's shock, shock value, yeah. but sister was shock value. But I think there was more. I don't know. It's just more interesting musically, or it just came across better. This one, it sounds like it was inspired by the cars, B fifty twos, maybe even a bit of the knack. But to me, it sounds way more like an idea for something on either Dirty Mind or Controversy rather than mm. ninety nine. So. It, yeah. First of all, it doesn't fit with the 99 album sound to me. Like, uh, I was... Uh, yeah, where, where's, the the Lindrum? where's the Lindrum? <laughs> exactly. Where's the uh, the synths for horns? But the thing is, I'm a bit like you, Captain. Like, the minute I saw the title, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'll listen to it. I have to. But how good can this be? Why would <laughs> you call a song that? But the kids, and literally he's a kid, he's what, 22, 23, 24 years old at some point. When he's well, no. When he was recording this, he would have been around twenty-two, twenty-three-ish. So that gives you an indication as to who's recording this. Uh, might as well be, might as well have been Jamie Starr, except for the fact that he's singing mm. this squirrely, high-pitched thingamajig. To me, this is pretty forgettable. Like it's, it does have a few minor elements that, if maybe delivered in a different context, could have come off a lot better, but. I don't know. It's just hard to take it seriously, just like you said, Captain. And so, it's just, yeah, it's just not a good song. Like, if anyone else had recorded this, you would listen to it and go, "What the hell is this?" Yes, it, it seriously, is, it's not uh, a it good is, song. Yeah. It's not a it is not a good quality song. song. <sighs> yeah, like anyone I'll, I'll could do this. Any sixteen-year-old and their idiot friend could record this <laughs> and think it's great. <laughs> and then you'd listen to it and you go, "Oh yeah, okay." But you know, for <laughs> Prince to do a song like this, it's like, "Oh come on, man." You can you can do much better. I will add something uh, something redeeming though. The rhythm, although it is maybe forgettable on the whole, the rhythm guitar does strum along quite nicely, and it it is way tighter than what a sixteen year old. Uh, <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah, so I'm not. Can't help yourself, can you? <laughs> no, I think it, <laughs> I didn't even get that reference when you said it. I have to admit, I'm so focused oh, on my shit. notes at the moment, but. The real problem for me is not even the lack of melodic strength of Vagina, the song. I've just never taken to Prince singing in this squeaky, super high, fractured kind of voice. Like, when he does Do Me Baby, fantastic. Ballads, um, it's, it's acceptable. It's acceptable. But when he's rocking out, high voice, uh, it doesn't do it for me. So... It's not just that it's high. It's just, like I said, fractured, fragmented kind of... Squeaky. I don't know. It's just... It's got no body. It's it's just very, very... You know what I mean. <laughs> it's I not all there. <laughs> it's just not a full manly voice. So, yeah. There you go. Toe Jam. What are your thoughts on Vagina, the song? <laughs> Sorry. Oh, man. 
I really like this. I think it's one of the real highlights of this set. Ooh. I think it's great. Oh, get out of here. Uh, this was another one that was not circulating among collectors. So again, I really relish this experience of hearing these ones for the first time. Uh, so yeah, so the story goes that Prince originally wanted to call Denise Matthews Vagina, which was later changed to Vanity, which I think Vanity is a much better name. Uh, so I, I'm, I think it's about her or about a character that Prince could see in her at least, about a, you know, a strong, manly kind of woman. Um, and it's in the funkiest key of all, C sharp. Mm. So you can get that low E string, that low E major, which is the minor third of C sharp, which is really funky. And I totally wrote what Player wrote. When it first comes on, I start sing it, singing the I Am song from the Deliverance EP. <laughs> uh, it, that's in the same key as well. And again, that's a very guitar-driven kind of song. Um, very different lyrics, though, obviously. Um, so yeah, basically two rhythm guitars. There's a distorted one on the right and a clean one on the left. And they're panned quite wide. There's no drums, but there is beatboxing by Prince. Yeah. And um, then there's, it's that and the vocals. And I think a lot of people saying, oh, this kind of sounds like a demo. I don't know. I think I think this is the way the song is supposed to sound, I think. It's supposed yeah. to be open and yeah. um, kind of almost like poetry. Like Regardless of what we're saying, it's good poetry or bad poetry. It's kind of more of a, what's the word, a kind of image rather than a song, so to speak. And so I think it sounds really good the way it is. It kind of reminds me of like some of the Third Eye Girl stuff as well, like some of those more... Oh, yeah broken down acoustic-y ones that they were doing. Uh, there's some tasty, the tasty little bass slapping now and then. Like, it's obviously just playing plucks most of the time. It occasionally does some cool slapping stuff. It, it's, it's a family show. It's so tasty. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even think of that. For anyone that has the patience to, to sit through this review, I, I uh, applaud you. <laughs> uh, yes, there's a bridge that goes to a nice A major chord with some suspended notes in there as well. At 2.22, the bass just drops out for a few seconds. And it sounds to me like it's an error that has been, like it's almost like he played the wrong note and so they went back and edited the wrong note, but they never got around to going back to fixing it. So it's just like the bass just stops weirdly for like two or three seconds. And it doesn't sound like it's supposed to do that. So I think there's a mistake in there, but I really like this. I think it's a nice open song. (laughs) Ha (laughs) ha. It's just like open chords, open guitars, rocking sounds, falsetto vocals, definitely Dirty Mind kind of era, like the sound of it. Um, I just think it's really good. I think it's great. The only thing that maybe holds it back is the the, the title. It is kind of a bit... Um, But again, the handwritten lyrics, this was printed in the Prince Memoir, the handwritten lyrics for this. And it's all in red. You know, he's writing this real bright red pen and he's drawn a picture of this woman that he's imagining. And, you know, he's not a bad drawer. He's, he's certainly got the cheekbones and the, and the body and everything. Like, it's, it's a good drawing for just like a, a sketch. So there you go. If you can't draw like Jamie Starr. <laughs> okay. Yeah, there's my review. Well, thank you for that. We got through it. We got through track number four. <laughs> I'll just four. add, I mean, it's an, it is an interesting, I don't know, Concept. theme to a song. <laughs> I, you know, again, a different title. Could have been fine. Like this half boy, half girl thing, like like Player said, he went through that in other songs and other things. It's just, yeah, the title. <laughs> I can just see him releasing was it, this was as it, like the A side and then making a penis song as the B side and then just having like <laughs> the A and B side of the... I can just well, totally ha- see There's always one, that. isn't there? Well, There's well, where always could he go? one. Where could he go after this? He, he had... Um, Scarlet Pussy. Scarlet Pussy. Pussy Control. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's more. But yeah, at least he didn't put... Little Red Corvette. <laughs> but was this around the same right, time? Gonna... Was this around the same time that Bowie was doing the same sort of androgynous thing? Like, 
This is later. This is a bit earlier. About ten years. I have no idea. Yeah. No, this is about ten years later because Ziggy Stardust was early seventies. So okay. Yeah, no, no, no. Glam rock was kind of early seventies ish. That was all, all the rage. But he's, but you know, this is the era before the new romantics. This is in the middle of new wave, basically. So yeah, there's a lot of androgyny happening for sure. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Without further ado, let's continue the show. Time to rearrange. Yes. Oh, track number five. Rearrange. And I'm going to hand this one over to Toe Jam. Oh, okay. I really like this. Um, another unheard one. So three in a row that are like completely unheard. Obviously, and I'm sure everyone's got this, is the first thing they've written down. This is obviously the prototype to Lady Cab Driver. Yo. Similar tempo, same key, same sort of chords, same sort of rhythm. It's yep. got that 5-7 um, sharp 9 chord that he used a lot to finish off, like, you know, to round off a, a verse or a chorus, which he did in a lot of songs like The Stick. The thing that's most similar about this and Lady Cab Driver is the rhythm guitar, the rhythm that he plays. Yeah. That, mm, yep. Dun, you know, those, that links these two songs. But he also uses that, something very, very similar on Sexy Dancer, that one. Same rhythm. So there you go. The bass line movement is also followed by the, the vocal verse, which is kind of the C, B flat, A, B flat. And then it does that three times. And then it just, then it does the same thing again. But this time it goes down to the G. And that's the chord progression. It just repeats over and over and over and over and over. That sort of four four bars of four, four. What do you call it? 16 bars. Four <laughs> times four is 16. There you go. Uh, and that just goes through the whole song. <laughs> um, okay, you got this uh, rearrange lyric, which again, and I'm sure Captain's got this, it's in Can't Stop This Feeling You Got, which was on uh, Graffiti Bridge. Uh, maybe we all got to rearrange, is what he says in that one. And then also, in New Power Generation... Mm? Rosie says you've got to rearrange Ah, of course Yeah, there you go um, Again, everything is on the one You know, people today won't change It's all on the one the Big layered vocals, smack bang on beat one There's a cool part where he sings like Your hair, your clothes, your soul it, It's very similar to the the part in Anastasia of Love Sexy Where he goes, no matter, no matter, no It's very similar to that bit The way it kind of the background vocals kind of anticipate the lead vocal Yeah and I really just love the feeling of this song, like the contrast between the sort of robotic and repetitiveness of the beat and the lines and the tinkly old piano sound, and it's all kind of very together and tight. And yet the lyrics are all about you know opening up your mind and and rearranging. About the previous song, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got to rearrange, MC. <laughs> Open up your mind. You got Such to rearrange, like half boy, half girl. That sort of rearrange. <laughs> <laughs> Again, for anyone still listening to this podcast, uh, we haven't made it out of high school yet. The four of us, so we apologize. <laughs> but yeah, no. As I was saying, like there's this contrast between the sort of robotic and repetitiveness of the song with the opening yourself up lyrics, uh, which is this really interesting. Because you listen to those lyrics and it's kind of like, you know, looking at things in a different way and opening up. But yet the song itself is very contained. Uh, you got this big guitar solo that sort of starts in a couple of minutes in and it sort of it sort of goes for a while there. Um, that's the only thing with this song. It, there's, there's some sections in it where nothing's really happening. It sort of gives mm. that, you know, unfinished. This was not on the album because it was unfinished, basically, I think. You've got this big breakdown at 318, which is the hits on the one occasionally. And Lady Cab Driver just, you know, used that exact section almost. 
so yeah, I think obviously Prince recorded this and he thought, okay, I like elements of this and he turned those elements into Lady Cab Driver. But this thing as in its own right is very, very interesting. And I think it's a shame that he never really got to finish it properly because I think there's so much cool stuff in this song. One of my favorites on this set, even if it is Ooh. a little bit not unfinished. All right, all right, all right. Player, what do you think about this one? This is about MC organizing his record collection, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Resequencing. Resequence. I walked into that. Uh, that beat captures me straight away. The kick drum is straight um, from Nasty Girl. This reminds me of a time song. Um, I think yeah, the stick or the walk, one of those ones. This hallmarks of Lady Cab Driver. We've all said it. Mm. The squelching guitars is Ronnie Talk to Russia in there as well. The vocal delivery is hilarious with all that combined. It doesn't surprise me if this was earmarked for the time. Um, that guitar tone is classic, 82. There's numerous songs that have a similar guitar sound, but just focus on the rhythm and the solo guitar all the way through. It's really nice. A 214, is that a cowbell or a woodblock I hear added? There's something added there. Go listen to it. Just before the four-minute mark, there's some nice piano tinkles that are introduced. Towards the end, he just goes nuts with that guitar distortion, hmm. but it, it just abruptly cuts off to finish the track. Again, the closest thing on 99 to me sounds, you know, this sounds like Laddie Cab Driver. So, again, his favorite cab driver over this. You know, one of them's got to go. Both can't be on there. I think this is more suited to the time. It wouldn't surprise me if, if this song would have ended up on one of the time albums, but it got vaulted. So, yeah, it's a very interesting omission, I guess, from the Prince catalog that we're now hearing. So, it's great. All right. Uh, Captain, are you digging this one? Ooh. After Toe Jam said he loved the last track, I thought he'd love this one too. Um, <laughs> because I'm the opposite again. Like, there's very similar themes here and in the next track and in yes. some others as well, all about the old and the new and all this stuff that mm. ended up in Graffiti Bridge. It's just crazy. I keep saying that. It's just It still blows my mind every time I hear this song or the next track about and like all these things that turned up later they're from so early on it's just still blows my mind but yeah the rhythm guitar in this is really nice you've got one left one right doing slightly different things you've got this crazy guitar like all over this track but to me it's very rambling and unfocused like he got so much better at crafting proper solos later on this is just a big rambling noodle fest for me Sure, the tone is great. It sounds good. But what he's actually playing, it's nothing amazing. It's nothing to write home about. And very similar sounds to uh, the guitar stuff that ended up on Orgasm. And it was... What was that other song it was off? It was an early 80s track as well. It's at the end of Private Joy Private leading Joy. into Ronnie Talk to Russia. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, that sort of guitar sound it ended up on Orgasm. It's, it's literally just a big wank fest. That's what it is. <laughs> The only bit I sort of like starts at about 4.35 to 4.52 where he sort of gets higher and higher and higher. That bit's cool, but the rest of it's just sort of a big rambling thing. Uh, you got those big synth hits, 3.17, 3.25, 3.33, 3.42. That all ended up in Lady Cab Driver as well with some added stuff as well, so that's cool. And then like Player said, you got that tinkly piano thing. Again, straight into Lady Cab Driver with that, that riff as well. Well, that, that little piano tinkly bit, that becomes the lady yeah. cab driver. Yep. That's where that turns into. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, the guitar just goes off all over that. But there's a cool bass bit at 504. Love the bass. But, again, like I said near the start, I knew Toe Jam would like this if he liked the previous track because this is another one. People are saying <laughs> it's one of the best vault tracks on this thing. And I'm like, really? Am I missing something? Good. 
I, do, I just yes. I just don't see what's so great about it. I mean, it's hmm. not bad, but for me, this is just like middle of the road amongst these vault tracks for me. It's not great. Wow. It's not bad. I'll say it's just a song, but it's <laughs> it's it is like maybe a few more months living with this, it might get better. But I just the bass annoys me. I'll tell you that. Oh, Toe Jam, what did you, you say? Gotta, the, like what the did bass. you say the notes I were again? Toe Jam. C B flat A and then and B then flat. B flat. The way it sits on the B flat annoys me. It just chugs because it should yeah. go somewhere, <laughs> and it annoys me that it goes down and then back to there and stops there. That really annoys me. Every I like it. Time. It's all kind of contained and. I mean, once you got to you know rearrange your bass. Yeah, I want to rearrange these notes because <laughs> that just annoys me rearrange every time. It goes dun, 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 and it goes back to B flat and just sits there, and I'm like, no, go somewhere. No, it's not right. <laughs> so that. That sort of annoys me every time I hear the track, so that doesn't help. If there was ever a song for you, Captain, rearrange your mind. Yeah, I've got to rearrange <laughs> the wrote notes. It just for you. Um, yeah, it's it's okay. Moving on. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll take the baton away from you now and say that this sounds like something in line with his rude boy persona slash period from the eighty eighty one era. Like, it sounds rebellious. Yeah. Like, this is like an evolution of Party Up for me. Yeah. But it's not... I agree with you guys that it's not quite finished. It's like he takes the feel and the vibe of Party Up and he wants to do something more with it. And he does, but it's just not complete in my mind. Uh, it is more sophisticated than Party Up. It's looking forward more so than Party Up did. But here's the thing that hit me, and uh, strange things happen to us when we listen to Prince music. So this is what happened to me when I was in the middle of this, listening to this song for the first time. I couldn't quite work out why, well, A, what I was hearing, but B, more importantly, I couldn't place this song. And then all of a sudden, I was thinking to myself, why do I keep think of the thinking of the year 2009? Like, not 1999, 2009. And then all of a sudden, like a slap in the face... My brain said this to me. If you told me this music was put on the MPLS sound or Minneapolis sound album, I (laughs) I wouldn't not believe you. Like the guitar, the Lindrum workout, the Lindrum pattern. Oh, I hear it. (laughs) No, no, no. I'm talking about this one. Yes, 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 yes. Dance for me. It's got that that 5-7 sharp 9 chord again. That's what Ah. I'm hearing in Bold Generation. (laughs) So it's not a replica of Dance For Me or Dance For Me is not a replica of Rearrange, but there are so many similarities between those two songs. Wow. It's just kind of crazy. He's a real big head buster. The comparison between what this song sounds like from an oral perspective, A-U-R-A-L, compare that to Dance For Me on MPLS Sound. Oh man, there are more similarities than differences. It's crazy to think that a 24-year-old or sounding similar to a 51-year-old, mind-blowing stuff. Back them up, do the experiment, <laughs> and you'll have your mind uh, blown. Same key. I'm sure I'm sure they're the same key. I like it when you dance for me. Hallelujah. Oh, fuck it, congregation. Let us bow our heads and pray. Great sporting. Well, the other thing is, but, yeah. you know, he was playing with those instruments again. That whole MPLS sound, Minneapolis sound album from 09 was a throwback to this era. 
Hmm. So yep. again, not a not a not a huge surprise. But this is like a really strong idea that doesn't have a conclusion, basically, mm. which is what some of you have already said. But I have two final thoughts. One, that end guitar bit that you guys are saying reminds you a little bit of the Private Joy uh, outro and also I think Captain said Orgasm. For me, it reminds me of another Lotus Flower 2009 related project, From the Lotus Back to the Lotus. Again, cue those two up. It's almost identical in parts, the guitar feedback between this song and uh, the intro and outro to the Lotus Flower album. I like another Are we headbutt. sure it's not a sample? Uh, but anyway, enough. Oh, we, oh who knows? <laughs> <laughs> didn't get that far. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, I didn't get that far. But the last thing I'll say is this whole song actually makes me think of a completely different artist. And the name that pops up into my brain is Hearts. This sounds so similar to sounds that he was putting together, Hearts, that is, just a couple of years ago. Very, very similar grooves, one-man band as well. And just I couldn't I couldn't let go of that comparison. My brain didn't let me avoid that. So um, just thought I'd throw a quick Hearts reference in there, even though he's 34 years later. <laughs> but, was, was he but, even uh, born yeah. when this track came out? Was recorded? I don't believe so. <laughs> <Probably> not. <laughs> But uh, yeah, a quick shout out to Hearts. But the reality is um, we must move on to the next track, Bold. That's right. I said Bold, not New Power. Bold Generation. It's not Bold. And Captain, what are your thoughts? Open this one up for us. Well, this was a surprise. A very early yeah. version of New Power Generation, which is cool. And can we just say there, you got to say it, New Power Generation is one of your favorite songs, right? It is. It's up there. Now, I don't know if it's just me, but it really doesn't sound like he's saying bold, like at all. No, it doesn't. Mm. Yeah, you're right. It's not an O sound. It's an OW sound, like in power. So whether he's saying just power <laughs> or he's saying something else that sounds like that, He's not saying like an O sound, really? like bold. You can isolate these vocals and yeah, he's not saying right. bold. Yeah. Like I listened to this a lot today and especially to that lyric and I really don't think he's saying bold. I know it says yeah, it on the, like, the, on the tape well. thing, but I just, I'm not hearing it. I think it's just our brains just hearing power. Mm. I think that's all it is. Well, no, I'm trying to so hear bold to since that's the title of the track, but I just cannot hear it. Are you sure you're not hearing the word new anywhere? No, there's no new. No, new, there's no new, yeah. <laughs> and when a, you isolate the track, you, you can't hear it, yeah. Whatever he's saying, it's owl sound. It's not yeah, it's o, an owl. Yeah, like yeah. bold. It's weird. The bold generation. <laughs> the bold. Nah. Anyway, every time I listen to this, it still blows my mind that this is from the early 80s and we didn't hear it until 1990. I'm going to keep saying that about some of these tracks. It's just crazy. Like 146 to 220, I just love the piano all over this. And then you got yeah. these fat synths and bass synths. Uh, uh, lyrics, lyrics, interesting lyric change with this ain't got time for politics, never fight no war. Change to lay down your funky weapon and join us on the floor. I mean, similar idea, but like totally different lyrics. So that's that was yeah. just cool. And one, there's one point in this song, I'm just waiting for it to go straight into the max. Because just the beat and that piano just pounding away, it's very similar vibes 
to me, to that piano sound. But anyway, funky rhythm guitar really comes in at 2.20, and then you got the big scream, goes into the chorus, and one thing I really like in this song, there's this big fat synth bass that doubles the actual bass, and it's it's there from the start, but it slowly comes up in the mix until like about 2.49, gets louder and louder and louder up to that point, and then by 2.49, it's just right up there, and it's very flashlight George Clinton sound. It's really cool. It's very funky. I mean, this early version really doesn't evolve past the verse and the chorus. Like, nothing changes. It's just verse-chorus. Unlike the 1990 version, which has different changes and goes some different places. So, yeah, it definitely evolved later on. Okay, at 5.03, there's a sound. It sounds like he's smoking a bong. Who knows? (laughs) That's what it sounds like to me. What's all that about? The bong generation. It's the bong (laughs) (laughs) generation. Oh, that's it. That's it. All it. Makes sense it all now. makes sense. Uh, oh, what's the start of... Is it start of Chaos and Disorder as well? Ah, uh, good stuff. Light up another one, dude. Ah, <laughs> uh, light up another one, dude. Yeah, that's it. Um, you got some more funky piano, and then we're out. Again, these themes of, you know, get rid of your old ideas, and it's all about the new stuff. Uh, it's just... Um, blows my mind to hear this track. But all I can say is I don't think he's saying bold. That's the number one thing I've got to say about this song. It really doesn't no, sound like bong, it. It's as bong, we've generation. Highlighted. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like he's saying power, or at least pow. It's it's really hard to hear it, but I just cannot hear bold at all. The end. Well, it looks like the track listing uh, and also the sheets for these tracks list bold generation. I think it's safe. No. It's a safe bet to go with that. Let me ask you. Danger. (laughs) Unsafe for work, the Peach and Black podcast. Before I move on, I have to ask you this question, Captain. Considering that New Power Generation is one of your favorite Prince songs, where does Bold Generation line up? Do you have a favorite version now? I still prefer New Power Generation. Just because (sighs) it's more evolved. It's got a bridge. It does different things. All this song is, it's a verse and a chorus. That's it. That's it. It could literally be one verse, one chorus, end of song. It just continues on, though, doing not much. But that's where I prefer the 1990 version. He worked on it more. It evolved. It had different things in it. I mean, this is still a great version. I like the piano in it. I wish that piano was still in the 1990 version. Yeah. But, yeah, it's close. I won't lie. It's close, but I still prefer... The 1990 version. Just. All right. There you have it. Very cool. Uh, Player, what are your thoughts? I like this track. I like how they left the count in at the start. Mm. That's really cool. And the bass plug kicks off the track. Um, This is nice. Of course, when I listen to this new Power Generation song comes to mind. But this is less rigid and less digital. It's as cool as the song is on Graffiti Bridge compared to this. The 1990 track is a little bit soulless for me. Because this has more feel to it. There's more swing in the groove. And it's not quantized or anything. I think the 1990 thing, it's so quantized. It's so precise, you know. Whereas this is more kicked back and relaxed. And it's all about, like Captain said, piano. That one instrument makes the whole thing sound more organic and breathes an air Mm. of freshness into the track. Those plucky synth stabs at 146 in the break are really nice. And as brilliant as this is, I can see why this never made it to 99. And I think all those live drums on the track, 
where pretty much everything else on 99 is limb drum. So this, to me, I don't know, this was destined for the time again. But this would give any 1982 traditional R&B artist, you know, a run for its money. It's a solid groove. There's parts that remind me of Parliament Funkadelic. Yes, yep. Captain Said, Flashlight, all that sort of stuff. It's awesome. This is definitely a highlight of this set, and I'm glad they've included it. But even though this is of the 82 era, I would have thought they would have reserved this for Graffiti Bridge Deluxe. You know, like if you've got the bonus disc mm. of vault tracks, I would have mm, thought they would have put interesting. Because I'll give you an example. 1982, Prince creates, you know, among other songs, you know, Raspberry Beret, Strange Relationship, Taking Strange Relationship. That's going to end up on, eventually, I, I would imagine, Sign of Times Deluxe, you know? So yeah. something like this, to me now, listening to all these tracks, when he's created Graffiti Bridge, he hasn't really sort of created anything at all he's pulled everything out of the vault and and reworked it so it's like well what are all the extra bonus stuff mm. we're going to get on on that album when the deluxe comes out and this would have fit perfect for it so well yeah it's just interesting but i'll just say for yeah. graffiti bridge there are later versions of this track but previous to the release version of new power generation mm. so if graffiti bridge deluxe ever That's comes out they will be on there so they might yeah. have already looked at that and going well this is an 82 one obviously We've got like an 88, 89 where he pulled it out and started working on it sort of demo. So let's keep them for Graffiti Bridge Deluxe. We can put this on He's 99. Hoping. Yeah. Yeah, let's see what happens. But um, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm glad they released it. It's, it's, it's nice to hear it. I'm just imagining all the people groaning at me even saying the words Graffiti Bridge Deluxe Edition. <laughs> I want to hear that. I want that. I yeah. think that would be fascinating. I, I did too. That yeah. would be it might be many years down the that road, but I will be very happy to get that. Well, I'm going to take players, this is a nice track, and I'm going to raise it by one, or maybe a, a few levels. Holy crap, Batman, <laughs> is this the jam or what? Yeah, it is, yeah. Like, this is the freaking jam on this disc for me. It is so thick and just meaty and propulsive. And yeah, you guys mentioned it already, that piano kills it. It kills it throughout the whole track. It's just nice having that groove. But from around the two-minute onwards mark, there's a lot of awesome little tiddly bits that he does. Plays around with all sorts of stuff. A lot of chord work, but even a, a few kind of single notes. And he just he's just having fun with it, right? So you got that piano followed by his now trademark screens. But at the time, we're still kind of... He was building that, but it's now very much a part of his legacy. And to me... Along with that piano, it's that thick Parliament Funkadelic, I guess, fat synth. style bass. But it's a yeah, the fat synth bass that Zap would have been proud yeah, of for sure. Zap, I mean, it yeah. is just thick as a brick, and uh, I love it. I love listening to it. There's a super short synth solo at 3:21 that is again nice, but the piano chords at about the 3:40 something ish. It sounds like Elton John's playing the piano, honestly. <laughs> and that's and, and I'm saying that in the very best possible sense. Like Elton is a killer. Uh, he's killer on the keys, killer piano player. And, and Prince is playing in a very similar style. I don't know. It's so rhythmic. It's very, very rhythmic, the piano playing. And so uh, to me, I, I'm, I'm hearing Prince on vocals and Elton on, on the keys on this version <laughs> in the studio with him. Well, he was it's going bald. In my mind. And yeah, I mean, this is like synth galore, right? There's more prominent synth work. This is the song that I think with more arranging work and also even more thick synth work could have been an 
album opener. Now, clearly that was never going to happen because 1999 had probably the biggest album opener you could have. But had Prince not written the song 1999, I think this would have been a great choice. So, um, yeah, I, I love this track. This is the highlight on this disc for me. Not the only highlight, but like one of the top two or three songs. It just kills me every time I play it. This had a similar impact, but not as crazy, but a similar impact on me um, when comparing the experience that I had listening to the Purple Rain Deluxe second disc. Mm, you guys yeah. remember when we, we did that review and um, We Can Fuck? Mm, yeah. This is, this is the We Can Fuck moment. <laughs> I reckon this could have gone for another five minutes. Not the electric this could have intercourse gone moment. On... <laughs> <laughs> uh... No. Uh, this could have gone on for another five minutes, really. But um, Captain had what is that weird bong sound. But I just thought, what is that weird underwater bubble sound? I can't work it out. It's at five minutes and four seconds approximately. Yeah. And I was laughing my freaking ass off. I'm like, what is he doing? What is that? They've got that water effect on Lady Cab Driver, don't they? The other thing is, just one final thought before I hand over to Toe Jam. It also reminds me a little bit of uh, the gold standard, the song from Artificial Age. Now, clearly, in a, on that track, he's in the bubble bath, but this is weird. It's weird, and it's great, and it's funky, and Prince is a maniac producing and creating this much freaking top-shelf content. Insane. I'm speechless. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts? Okay, uh, so this is the only song on the entire set that's been sourced from a cassette tape, and allegedly, <laughs> that is because Prince recorded over this yeah. when he was working on the later versions of this song. So this is a real gem of an unreleased track because this does not exist anymore in Iron Mountain. Yeah. This is the cassette is the only remaining version of it. So that this is a real rare gem of an item. When we first heard the title, when we saw the title, and I remember we were we were talking online and and Bold Generation and someone said, "Oh, you know, it could be something like New Power Generation." And suddenly it all made sense because the, you know, we are the New Power Generation. We want to change the world. The only thing is, in, and suddenly it all started making sense. Yes, this is what it's going to be. And that is what it turned out to be, the original version of New Power Generation. Mm. The chords are similar kind of chords to Strange Relationship, like one minor, four minor, then the flat seven major. And it's got that similar kind of sludgy kind of feel. So I think Strange Relationship and this kind of have a bit of a relationship together. Obviously, it removes the, well, it doesn't remove. this. Later on, it was added on the lay down your funky weapon part. That's mm. replaced by... Um, no Time for Politics, Ain't Got Time for War, which is a kind of a Jehovah's Witness thing, even though he's not a Jehovah's Witness at this time. He was uh, brought up in a Seventh-day Adventist family, mm. which you know had this kind of no, no politics, no war kind of thing to it. So it's interesting that he left the no warp thing in, but he took out the politics thing in the 1991, so which is interesting. So the chorus line and the verse line in this version actually follows the bass, where he's going generation, want to change the world, blah, blah, blah. Whereas in the 1991, it kind of, yeah, we are the new power generation. It's kind of more just belted out there and not really ascending with the bass. Not sure which one I prefer, just different ways to tackle a verse and a chorus. I've never been a huge fan of the lyric, I hope they bury your old ideas the same time they bury you. It's kind of like, eh, that's a bit, don't need to go there. Um, mm. It is very hard not to sing, we are the new power generation, because our brains are just so used to hearing that. I can hear bold. When you really focus and listen, you're like, yeah, he's saying bold. But it's very easy to hear power. Just power generation. <laughs> That's what it is. All right. Um, right. I'm surprised no one picked up on this, especially a certain player. 
at 158, you can hear doodly-doo. <laughs> it's there. Go and listen to it. 158, it is there. The original doodly-doo. <laughs> Don't believe me? Go Wait, I'm going to listen right now. Well, 158. So go to like 157 or so. I can't wait to hear your reaction. Oh, it's a little bit different, but yeah, it's there. <laughs> it's there. Doodly-doo. Yeah. It's buried a bit. Yep. Let me find it. Oh, that's funny. 158, did you say? Yep. <laughs> he sort of fumbles it, but it's, it is the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You'll never unhear that now. Good pickup. All right, so as everyone said, there's lots of acoustic piano. Uh, it's a bit more live band kind of sounding. Some painful screams at 345 onwards. And as Captain was saying, you know, it, is, it does get a little bit repetitive. Um, it's just a verse and a chorus, and it does kind of go five, six minutes. So it's totally understandable to me hearing this. As, as funky and as sludgy and as raw as, as it is, again, it's another one that I can totally see why he's like, mm, I still need to work on that before it gets released. Mm. But yeah, just the fact that he recorded over this, that just blows my mind. He would record over this. Just imagine if he hadn't so this is... chucked off a, co- a copy to a cassette. We wouldn't have this at all. Mm. That's insane. And we'd have no That's idea. That's insane. That is insane. Yeah. Absolutely insane. Fascinating. Is this aimed at the Rolling Stone crowd that booed him off stage? Maybe. Oh, yeah. Who, who listened to that is it? Prince podcast thing? And oh, that could... Because someone said actually... that like this whole album was... So... Well, they sort of talk about that a bit in the booklet. The article by... Andrea yeah. Swenson. She kind of talks about that in, in her article. Well, the the whole 99 album, it, they're basically saying that the Rolling Stones booing thing, it drove him to do like a mainstream pop album. Hmm. Like it was a just turning the whole point. album as a whole. But I'm just turning talking point, about yeah. this particular song itself, just the sort of things he's talking about in there. It seems like who's the inspiration? Why is he bringing this up? It just, it just. Mm. Well, if that was, if that was true, then it brings up the a very new uh, meaning to the words that Toe Jam used earlier, which was, "I hope they bury your old ideas the same time they bury yeah. you." Right? That's that's super interesting. Wow. Hmm. I don't, I don't particularly want to get into that because who the hell knows what yeah. made him that's true. do this album and go yeah, in this exactly. direction? I mean, oh, it's for just, sure. It's really just guessing. Speculation. Yeah. It's complete speculation. I mean, it is interesting, though, that as we've been saying, there's there's a lot of songs on here that reference this sort of old generation. Old ideas and the new ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Rearrange, you know. Um, What's the other one? Oh, The Critics Love You. You get it. Yeah. Yeah. But the reality is that Prince was talking about, you know, the new breed and a new leadership and a new way of thinking on controversy and even. Yeah. It's just you know, evolved from that, yeah. Exactly. He just, you know, he's the rude boy. He's he's rebellious. He's he's. I'm here. You know, look at me. I'm 23 years old and I'm ready to do it. And it's like, yep, I'm the new school. So it's like, um, you know, time for jazz to die. You know, that would come out later on 1999. Mm. But who mm. knows? Who yeah. knows what's going on in that guy's purple brain? But we're all loving it. I just want to go back to that lyric again. Is this ain't got time for politics, never fight, no war. That's such an like early Prince thought process isn't it yes like there's a bunch of songs like uh you know dirty mind controversy it's that same thing party up it's like you know uh, what's that is it is a party up party up never gonna fight your own damn war or something like that and yeah yeah Yeah. oh yeah Yeah. it's just such an early prince theme so it's it's and it's interesting that he changed it then anyway which is funny because the generation in terms of rock history the generation before prince was really the kind of vietnam 
you know, yeah. no war kind of stuff. Yep. And Prince comes along and he's still kind of singing this all this anti-war stuff. But America was, as far as I recall, wasn't in like a Vietnam kind of war at that point. It's kind of interesting. Yet he was still kind of singing these war songs. Yeah, but it was Reagan era, right? So still yeah, cold plenty, war. plenty of air, plenty of craziness going on cold. in the world. So, but, but then when you think about this, this is coming up to 1990. And then you kick off the Iraq war. He could have left this as it was and it would have fit perfectly. <laughs> but he probably did it just before that. The difference is, is he tried to fit that into the concept of the Graffiti Bridge film. Oh, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't a soundtrack movie, maybe he would have left it. Who knows? Mm. But, you know, maybe he turned it down because, you know, how does that fit in the movie, you know? Yeah, there's no, there's no war in the movie. <laughs> Only between Morrison himself oh, yes. and that's it. You can't <laughs> battle me, baby! Seven, seven corners, yeah. There is a skillet with flames. Oh, hilarious. <laughs> well, there's been a whole lot of music and lyrics and singing and all sorts of stuff on this album so far, so why don't we talk about a little instrumental number called oh. Colleen. Why don't I start this off? Because I haven't got too much to say about it. Look, I'm happy with pretty much everything that you're prepared to put out on the one hand. But on the other hand, so far, I've been having such a good time listening to this set. And then this comes on and it's not a bad song, but it just doesn't do a lot for me. Like it wasn't memorable. And to this point still isn't memorable enough. I'm not upset that it's on here. It's fine. But it's kind of like, it doesn't go anywhere. He's playing around. It's this repetitive riff that doesn't really commit to the memory banks for me. That's basically what it is. Now, in saying that, there are a couple of things that are really, really cool. Namely, Prince's bass playing. If you want to sit around for a few minutes and just listen to Prince noodling on the bass but sounding convincing the entire time, this is the song for you. And <laughs> there's a bit around the 3 minutes 46 seconds mark to about the 4 minute mark. So we're talking, what, 14, 15 seconds? So bloody cool. Just listen to that on repeat. Super, super cool stuff. And I like the dirty guitar sound. So even though it's repetitive, the dirty guitar sound, it does drag me in halfway there, but it just kind of doesn't take me all the way. You know, this one, it could be a skip. And as I become more familiar with this material, it's like nice to have, I'm happy I heard this long lost vault track, but I want to move on to the next song because that's, that's something I really want to hear on repeat. With that out of the way, who wants to take this? Have we got... Well, I'll do something different on this show. Let, let's rearrange. <laughs> Are there any Colleen fans in the house? Tumbleweed. Player. Hey. Okay. Well, <laughs> this is a bit of an oddity. The groove reminds me of the scene in Purple Rain where Brownmark, Bobby Z and Matt are rehearsing and Prince walks in and asks where he ah, listens at. It sounds yeah. very similar to that. Just Max got these synth over the top of it, but that basic groove mm. sounds very similar. I'm not saying it's exactly the same, but it just it reminds me. Every time this comes on, I think of that scene in Purple Rain. So, um, aside from the relentless groove, there's nothing much here. It gets a bit repetitive after a while. It's either like Prince was trying to get something out of his system that day, or he has the song in his head and he's playing too long to that, but doesn't lay down a vocal for it or whatever. Maybe he was going to revisit it later and never got round to it. I mean, who knows? But to me, this is just an interesting look into his work process more than anything. But in terms of everything else, I can easily skip this one. The fact that this is on here, it's cool, but 
there's some tracks on these two discs that I feel that they've padded it out because they're replacing certain tracks they couldn't put on these discs. And ah. This is definitely one of those things. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Kojam. Yeah. This song really doesn't need to be here. It's far and away the most skippable thing on the entire set. It's just Lindrum, bass, guitar, and guitar. That's all it is. And as much as I'd like to say it's, well, it's kind of interesting because it shows, you know, a song in progress. But yeah, I totally agree with Player. There there are more complete songs that should have been on here instead of this. And let's not beat around the bush. We're talking Extra Lovable and, and Last You Always. We know those bootlegs are out there. Um, and we know the reason why they're not on here. <laughs> we'll get to yeah. that subject. But this is just a beat and a bass line and a bit of guitar noodling. I mean, if it had to go on here, I think maybe a better spot for it could have been like the end of disc two or something like that. It just kind of breaks the flow of this album. You know, if, you can, if you're looking at it in, in the scheme of an album, I don't know whether they're putting it out like that. I don't think they are actually now that I say that, because I think these are all done in the order that they were recorded as roughly as they could. So I guess this has to go here. Um, I mean, the guitar line is sort of like the, the line from the stick, you know, dun, 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 and you think it's going to keep going. Dun, 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 dun. Is that the stick? What's that? Is that something else? That's not. That's ah, um, no, that's chocolate. That's chocolate. Chocolate. Yeah, yeah of course. Chocolate. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like that. It's like it's just a little bit of that. To me, it reminds me of that studio live studio jam from the Omnibus documentary, probably circa 1988. Ah. And I think they're in England, and they're kind of yep. just jamming in the studio. Sort of reminds me a bit like that. Yeah, I've been listening to this set for a while now, and every time this comes on, I don't think I've got to the end of it yet. I just kind of skip through. You know, I skip forward, fast forward another 10 seconds. I was going to change. No, it doesn't change. Okay, got to the end. Next. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I think this is the only song you could justify in saying, eh, this doesn't really need to be here. But I guess for completists, it's there. But I'm sure there's other stuff. Yeah, for completists, you've got disc two. Frisbee. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Captain, what are your thoughts on this one? Well, first of all, let me take exception to Tojam just said, this is the most skippable track on this entire box set. Let me bring your attention to disc two, track two. 1999, seven inch mono promo only edit. <laughs> You'd really prefer that yeah. over this. Okay. A totally unreleased track. Actually, probably yes. <laughs> that is my favorite song. No. So. No. Oh, anyway. Okay, then fine. That, that explains everything about you then. <laughs> when, when I said that before, I'd totally even blotted out disc two from my memory. It was always like it didn't exist. <laughs> it's yeah, already right? gone. <laughs> I don't think anyone here or anywhere takes disc two seriously, but that's another podcast. Okay. This song, as it is, this really is nothing. I mean, I can tell you with zero authority that the vault <laughs> slash Iron Mountain has many, many jams just like this. Many of them. I mean, stuff like this could literally be 25% of what's in there. Just Mm. jams he did and he put it down and he might have come back to it later and reused it or not. I mean, you've got a cool idea, a cool little riff, you record it, chuck it in the vault, story chance of ideas. Exactly. And just like that was an intro to the show, I also said something like, (laughs) why wouldn't you just record as much as you can, you know, when when you're being this creative, why wouldn't you? Yeah. Yeah, record as much as you can and leave it in the vault because clearly this is just him working stuff out, right? Yeah, like someone said, this is there's nothing memorable. He could have chucked a hook on this, like something on Possessed, 
totally turned this track around. And then vocals on top of that, and then something else, and it would have been great. But as it is, like, never worked on past this point, it is what it is. <laughs> he could have put this on phase two, with vocals and some synth hooks, and nobody would have known. No one would have known a thing. But as it sits now, you know, it's just a jam for five and a half minutes. Again, something I'll likely not listen to very often at all. But still interesting to hear. I'd still prefer this over half the contents of disc two. It's just hmm. a jam. It's cool. But yes, that's all I've got to say. Most skippable track, this one? Yeah. Clearly. <laughs> Clearly. Yep. yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay Definitely. <laughs> Someone had to take the prize. There you go. Isn't this the song that he threw to Peggy McCreary and yes. gave her for her birthday? Yes. Or is that You're All I Want? No, no, no. There's two stories. One is she had to work on a birthday and he recorded a song and he chucked it at her. That's your happy birthday. Yep. And then there's this song where he recorded it and she's like, wait, 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 where are you going? I don't have a name for this. And he's like, what's your middle name? And she's, she said, Colin, he goes, like, write that down. So there's two different stories. They sound very similar stories, but they're separate. Mm. Yep. Okay. Do you know what? That could literally be half the reason why this track's on here because it has a cool story like that. Correct. Yeah. Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. You know, Nico Bolas, like, you know how he said he, you know, they find stuff, they have the name on the box. Like her name would be on this as the engineer. Yeah. Mm. So they probably called her up and she's like, oh yeah, that song. I remember a story about that. And then she tells the story and they're like, oh, you know, that's a good story. Let's put this on mm. there because, you know. That, that'll fill out a, a few paragraphs in the liner notes. There we go. And it'll fill out some time on the disc where we don't, we have this big gaping space from Extra Lovable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's keep the trainer rolling. Uh, The next song is called International Lover, but not like you've heard this one before. It's International Lover, take one, live in the studio. Take it away, toe jam. Ooh, okay. Uh, Well, I mean, I love this song. If you have heard our 1999 album review, I really love this song. It's one of my favorites from the album, which is my favorite album. Not my favorite on the album, but one of my favorites. Well, I guess everything pretty much on that album is one of my favorites. And this is one of them. <laughs> Just for clarity. Okay. I'm going to start straight up. This is not the definitive version of the track. The definitive oh. version is the album version for me. Oh. Um, I'm putting that out there because I had a feeling someone was going to say that. <laughs> but there are some really cool parts. Okay. So this is January 14, 1982. In between sessions of recording the time song, The Walk, and it's basically just Prince and Morris Day. And Morris Day's on the drums, Prince is directing him as he goes, and Prince is on piano and vocal. And uh, the sound quality on this thing is just so crystal clear. It's so good. Prince is obviously directing Morris throughout the song. You hear him say stuff like, break it down, don't touch the cymbals, give me a nice ending right here, just touch the cymbals a little bit, you know, know, just kind of (laughs) telling him what to do, which is cool. Uh, I mean, it's basically the same song and structure as the album version, um, maybe a little bit faster. And I think that the album version is better because it's just that little bit slower. It kind of makes it even more cheesy. Um, so the lead vocal sung in Prince's regular voice, not his falsetto like he does on the album version. Some of the lyrics kind of fluffed or they're not as clearly articulated. So it does kind of have that demo sound to it. And it's funny that he still messes up the turbulence line. I anticipate some turbulence, which I think we discussed on the album review where it's like, Technically, that's not the way you'd, you'd say that grammatically. Yeah. But he still says it that way. 
the safety speech where he's doing that, um, you, you really get the feeling that he's on the verge of just completely pissing himself laughing. Yep. <laughs> Doesn't he say something like, I'm going to drop from the ceiling or something? Uh, I don't know, mate. He says, uh, I know how to keep you wet. Peggy, are yeah. you listening? You know, yeah. Peggy, Peggy McGreary, the, the sound engineer. Place your lips over your mouth. He starts laughing and then, you know, please remain awake. And he just completely loses it at that point. <laughs> The welcome to satisfaction part doesn't have the same kind of climactic feel as it does on the album. Um, I think, again, that's another reason why I think the album version is better. This is a really fascinating listen because it gives us a sense of the way he puts songs together. And so this obviously starts out as a jam. Prince has obviously got most of the song fleshed out already, I think. But this is the point where he's like, okay, I'm going to add some drums to it. I'll get Morris to do the drums. And um, So even, even though this is clearly not finished, it's clearly a demo. There's something beautiful about this. Uh, especially knowing the end result of it, the, the album version. Um, this, this is something magical about this version. It was really good to hear this uh, as an anticipatory song leading up to this box set. I think it's really good. And it's good that they've included this stuff as well, and not only outtakes and B-sides and remixes, but also you know, earlier versions of songs that are actually on the album. There's a few others um, coming up as well. So this is cool. All right, all right, all right. I can't believe I didn't throw to player first on this one. Uh, what are your thoughts? <laughs> OMG, this is damn fire. I love this so much, more than the final version on 99, because it's not as cheesy or Vegas vampy. Uh, It's just Mm. a straight run through of the song with Morris on drums, and Prince sounds so relaxed. Again, it's a breath of fresh air listening Mm. to this. Um, I love the way he's working the track out as he goes along, calling out the cues. Again, it's that process that's so fascinating to me. As we said on our 1999 album review, this sounds like it was initially intended for Morris to perform for the time, and this pretty much confirms it. You know, flying the Morris International, he says that at one point. <laughs> um, but for whatever reason, he keeps it and he puts it on 99 albums, so that's interesting. And, and Tojem touched on this about the sound quality. I mean, how good does the piano sound? And those drums by Morris are so solid. I really love this, and even though I don't think much of the track on 99, there's something endearing about this particular take. It's just, it's kind of like this moment between Prince and Morris. I think in the the release version on 99, he's way too serious, and it comes off way too cheesy. But this is like, he's so relaxed, Mm. he's working through it. Like, he doesn't seem stressed about it at all. He just, it's just something that he's running through, and it's great. It's it's really good. But, yeah, I think his intention was, well, Morris is kind of like this player-type character. This is something that I want on my album. And he's, you know, retained it and used all those sort of sexual references with the aircraft and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, he's kept it for, you know, certain reasons. He kept it because he knows it's a really great song. That's why. Even though he may have intended it originally, I think he got, at some point he realizes, hang on, I think I'm onto something here. This is a better song than I'm just going to give to an associated artist. So, so yeah, I, I don't think much of the 99 track, but this I, I really like. I, I, I prefer this one. I know this review was really controversial when we, when we did it the first time around. So. <laughs> was it? I can't even remember. What did we yeah, say? Yeah, you, you guys all panned it. I'm like, what are you talking about? This is a great song. <laughs> oh, okay. But um, yeah, just hearing you talk about Morris and Prince being in the room and obviously Peggy as well. I really wonder what Morris's reaction to hearing this, assuming that he's heard it, of course, and I'm sure he would have by now, or I hope he would have by now. I would love to know what his reaction was. I would hazard a guess that 
it would be incredibly emotional because even though you can't hear Morris, I mean, you can hear him playing the drums, right? You can't hear him in the room outside of that. But this would have to bring back some sort of memory, you'd think. Even if he couldn't remember the day itself, you'd just be thinking, man, it was just me and Prince in the studio, right? So it's just interesting to think back all those years ago. Just That would be such a weird experience because... Morris hasn't heard, again, I'm making a lot of assumptions here, but my my educated assumption here is that it's not like Morris has been jamming on this for the past 30 odd years, right? So um, there's that. But back to the song, yeah, this is a marvel. This is like bloody awesome. It sounds super amazing, super clear. Again, uh, Mr. Morris Day on drums is fantastic to hear. And Prince on piano is just something else. It brings me back to the piano and mic tour. Like, it was always there. You know, this virtuosity on the on the instrument is one thing, but on this song, you hear his like the building blocks. Like his fundamentals are so strong, and, and they're not just like from a muso's perspective, but from a listener's perspective, he has this feel. He just has this feel on the bloody keys. And it's so cool to uh, to hear. And on this version of the song, it's so intimate. It's like sitting in the room with them. So uh, what else can you say about that? The piano sounds super sexy. Prince is in great mood. He's in great voice and great spirits. But yeah, this is completely different to the album version. I mean, that one is like, I don't know. There's, there's so much humor and sassiness in this one. Uh, the shout outs to Peggy that Tojam already mentioned. Uh, the laughing, all that sort of stuff. Whereas the one on the album, it's a bit more cabaret. Mm. Still very, very good, but this is just beautiful and intimate. Probably the most poignant thing I can end on is, again, Prince's piano playing. Because at the 4 minute 32 seconds mark, there's a bit where he does these runs down the scales. And it's pretty simple stuff if you've ever, you know, anyone with a couple of years under their belt can run a finger down the keys. But... It's not what he plays, it's when he decides to do those runs that just astonishes me. He's just got such great rhythmic mm. timing and yeah. such such a great musical ear. He just knows when to when when there's a crescendo coming or when he wants to build emotion. Like it's just so simple and it's like oh, and you just you get that feel. Like this guy is a killer musician and it's not just about technical prowess. Um, his playing is just so spot on. And he's got this touch and feel on the keys that is completely his own. Or maybe a little bit of John L. Nelson in there as well. So yeah, super stuff. And with that, Captain, what are your thoughts? You know that bit you're talking about where he runs his finger down? The thing about that is it's not even once. It's literally like five different ones (laughs) perfectly timed to go down. It's, It's insane. Yes. When you listen to that, you can hear there's like, it's not just one. There's like a whole bunch in there. It's just crazy. Well, okay. He obviously does one with one hand, and then as that one's going down, he he's starts doing another others, one with yeah. the other hand. Yeah, and he's just hitting all the black notes at that point. I think the song's in B, but then all those black notes are going to line up perfectly. So just yeah. hit the black notes; it'll work, you know. Okay, so players said how relaxed Prince sounds, and I think to me that's almost the total opposite of most of the 1999 album, which yeah. all seems like very. I don't know if it's the Lin drums or the synths, but it all—it's all very robotic and cold and tense and tight. Yeah. And this song There's is the total opposite it, of yeah. that. So yeah, just when you said that, I'm like, holy moly, that's exactly what it is. But here we go. Like in our original 
1999 album review. I'm not a massive fan of the album version of this song. Like Player said, it just took itself way too seriously for what I consider, and what is obvious here, a ridiculous comedy song. Now, this is how this track should have been presented. Whether it was Prince or if he gave it to Morris Day, which should have happened, I think. But this is the next best thing. But I cannot take this song seriously. It needs this sense of humour which is shown here. Like, the album version is just so, like, overblown or something. I don't know. It just it's, takes itself way too seriously. And it just doesn't work for me. But this this is the version for me, just like Player said. I always liked the album version because I, I never saw it as taking itself seriously. What? We, we had that discussion on the album review. Go back and listen to that. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, which, which, by the way, has just gone up on YouTube recently. So go and check out the entire album review. <laughs> 1999. <laughs> yeah. Write in the comments and discuss this. I can't see myself listening to the original album version. It's, to me, it's just painful. It's just like, oh, what is this? I, I can't listen to it. <laughs> like, Tojam already said, like, the thing talking to Peggy, that's funny. You know, after that, it's just straight into the, the comedy stuff, as it's supposed to be. And that's how this song should be performed, always. <laughs> 517. I don't know what the chords are to this song, Tojam. What is the second chord that he plays, like, in the chorus when he sings the word lover? I think it's B flat 7. So he starts B, B major 7, then B flat 7. Because it's just it's such kind of a weird turn, and I just love that chord. Yeah. It's, it's at 5.17, perfectly isolated in a quiet bit. It just it sounds so good. And then the jump, because he goes from that, he goes from the B flat then to the E major, which is kind of a you know tritone jump, but it's the mm. four chord of B, so it actually sounds really, it's a nice, yeah. kind of interesting chord progression. It's so good, that bit. But then the end of the song, you've got those last two chords. Uh, Toja, I'm surprised you didn't mention this. Those last two chords in the song, he got to the second last one and it wasn't resolved. And I thought, oh, mm. Tojan's going to lose it here. He didn't resolve it. But then he does. <laughs> An unresolved chord. Then he just does it like just one more note and it resolves, even though it's still not exactly, but it's good enough. But as soon as I heard that, I'm like, oh, what's Tojan going to say about this? And he didn't even mention it. So who knows? <laughs> well, it's funny the way that he kind of directs Morris at that point. How he's kind of saying, not here, not here, don't hit the cymbals. Mm. Now, just tinkle them a bit, you know, a bit more, or whatever he says. <laughs> I think he says, fiddle around a little yeah. bit. You know? <laughs> fiddle around. That's track four. Touch That's track the... four. He does. Track four. He does. Touch the cymbals. <laughs> no, I, I swear, he says, touch the cymbals, fiddle around a little bit. <laughs> Give me that nice ending. Yeah. Cool stuff. Um, but that's all I've got to say. This is the definitive version of this track. No. The end. No. No. I think the album is the definitive, personally, but uh, take one or the other, right? These are just brilliant. All right. Thank you so much for listening to the first bunch of the 1999 Vault tracks that we've just reviewed. Be sure to join us next time when we talk about the next Vault tracks from Turn It Up all the way through to Purple Music. Uh, It's going to be lots of fun. Hopefully it's going to be insightful and as always entertaining. And again, thanks for listening today. Finally, though, a massive shout out to all the Aussie or Australian, I should say, firefighters. Big thank you to all during the bushfire crisis and those who've supported and donated. Thank you Um, so much. Yeah, definitely has been helpful. This has been another Peach and Black podcast. I've been Rob S. MC. Player, Toe Jam and Captain. Until next time, peace out. Bye bye. See ya. (laughs) 
You've been listening to another classic Peach and Black podcast. Catch all our episodes at podbean.com, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Mixcloud, and all good podcast directories. Search for Peach and Black Podcast. You can continue your Peach and Black experience online. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. The Peach and Black Podcast is written and produced by Rob S., MC, Player, Toe Jam, and Captain. Original theme music by yours truly, Toe Jam. Audio production and additional audio editing by Captain at Funky Temple Studios. Episode artwork by Reverend. Share our podcast with your friends and Prince fans. If you love our show, please write a review on Apple Podcasts. You can contact the Peach and Black Podcast by email at peachandblackpodcastofficial at gmail.com.